It's Friday, October 21st, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! Plus from dawn to dusk in the red dirt heat, busting it up for a couple of bucks. But it ain't this episode of the podcast is brought to you as always by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t shirts, coffee cups, and all around barbecue related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STAKE15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear there at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family busting out big time bathroom savings like you've never seen before. My robes, my slippers, the Erlen Dells version 1 and 2s. Raquel sheets and Giza Dream everything. If you enter promo code STEAK at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings. Like waking up in the morning feeling refreshed after sleeping on the MyPillow? Want to start your day off with a little My Coffee and her steak there as well? You can get 25% off your turtle order. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for everything bed-related. MyStore.com slash steak. For the breakfast-related items, we can talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones to be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, working on the night shift, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company. Hand-rolled, aged three years, premium tobacco from the fields of Nicaragua. It's going to give you an amazing smoke. Noah, rate them. Delicious. Yeah, you enter steak at checkout there. You're going to get 15% off your total order. Anything over 100 bucks, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card with each purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Still don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. You can find him on Facebook Messenger and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at SteakForBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, and to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Getter and Truth Social. Welcome, Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 180. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Guys, we've got a great show. We're going to be sitting down with a couple of our favorite guests. In addition, John Gibbs is going to be here. But before we get into any of that, 
Let's jump right into the news. to thank all you guys for coming. Remember, this illegitimate regime, their their judgment day is on 8 November when the Biden administration ends. I want to thank you all for coming. Thanks. By the way, and remember, take down the CCP. Thank you. Everybody was in a good mood outside the courthouse today. Mm, yeah. Heading in there uh, for sentencing was... Must have been free sandwich day. Conservative influencer, uh, <laughs> guest harvester, <laughs> and political podcast host Steve Bannon, former White House chief advisor to Donald Trump. Um, yeah, a lot of developments going on. Welcome to the show. Team, glad you're all here. Noah, hey. Hey. Antoinette, hello. Hi, guys. Oh, there it is. And uh, yeah, so... I guess the whole court proceedings would last less than an hour since when I got home, uh, Jack Posobiec and Peter Navarro were hosting War Room. We did not get the call. Mm. I did tag them across social medias, though, just to remind them in case they're going to be looking for a hefty lefty fill-in for mm. the, well, I don't want to spoil it, but after the <laughs> sentencing, Bannon was quick to return to the podium and give an update on, uh, you know, just exactly how the judge ruled. Now, remember, this is a Trump judge. Uh, Trump appointed judge and it's kind of like part of the two-tier justice system now you're either going with the script we all know what that means or you're going with the rule of law let's hear Bannon weigh in following the proceedings and uh, see what the judge did yeah hey, hang on I, I, I want to <clears throat> by the way I want to say everywhere. one thing I, I respect uh, the judge the sentence he came down with today is his decision I fully respect I've been totally respectful of this entire process uh, on the legal side I also want to make one other statement before I talk about a broader topic. More than any person in the Trump administration, I testified before the Mueller Commission for more hours. I testified in front of uh, Chair Schiff and the House Intelligence Committee more than any other person in the Trump administration. I, attest I testified in front of the Senate Intelligence, I think, more than any, all about the issues related uh, to uh, to Russia gate to all of that okay the same process every time I had lawyers that were engaged they worked through the issues of privilege and at that time I went and testified and I and, and this thing about uh, I'm above the law is an absolute and total lie mm. now more importantly more importantly the judge today was my judgment day by the judge and he stated for the appeal, and we'll have a very vigorous appeals process. I've got a great legal team, and there'll be multiple areas of appeal. But, as that sign says right there, can we have the vote sign? On November 8th, on November 8th, on November 8th, there's going to have judgment on the illegitimate Biden regime, and quite frankly, and quite frankly, the Nancy Pelosi and the entire committee. And we know which way that's going. Either they've already been turfed out like Liz Cheney, right, or have quit like Kinzinger and other the Democrats, or they're about to be beaten like Luria and others, or 
they will lose their power and become a minority. And Nancy Pelosi and and uh, Tom's chairman Thompson, all of it. This is a this is a this is democracy. This is democracy. The American people are weighing, measuring what went on with the Justice Department and how they comported themselves. They're weighing and measuring that right now, and they will vote on November 8th. They will vote. Hang on. They will vote. Hang on. They will. They will know. They will know. Can I go ahead and finish? Can I? Thanks. They, on November 8th. On November 8th, the American people will raise judgment, and we will broom. The Biden administration ends on the eighth evening of the eighth of November. And let me be. Let me. Some other thing is that the Department of Justice, Merrick Garland, will end up being the first Attorney General that's brought up on charges of impeachment, and he will be removed from office. Thank you very much. So absolute shit show, as hmm. you guys call. Clearly here uh, was the scene outside of the courtroom. You know, he was standing in front of signs that said, like, uh, death to uh, insurrectionists and jail all coup plotters. Mm. So I wonder how much they got paid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm telling you, it was free sandwich day. <laughs> <laughs> but it was pretty funny. Some of the really radically progressive uh, accounts on Twitter, like Patriot Takes, for instance, they were, like, showing a picture of him walking into court and then a picture of him, like, drinking a cup of coffee on, on in the war room set, and they're like, this lunatic literally just walked out of court and jumped right back on television. Yep. And I was like, what can you do? Uh, I mean, this is obviously the double standard. And being lynched on TV, fucking people. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what they would like, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm surprised nobody tried to assault him there. Unfortunately, uh, one of the first people he jumped on with after he shared a brief uh, monologue with Jack Posobiec and Peter Navarro was on Big Head Show, who follows him Mm. directly after. So he, he sat down to discuss... The well, in a less raucous manner, the entire way the sentencing went down and how he feels about the entire situation. Let's hear it. Keeps, you know what? What drives you to keep going? You've been attacked from every possible direction, from the Mueller investigation to the Senate Intelligence Committee to the State of New York to the Department of Justice, and you just keep fighting. And you're focused solely on Election Day as the Democrats' Judgment Day. You know, people complain all the time. Me, Charlie, things are so tough. And you never let that get to you. Talk about that, Steve. I find that super interesting and important for our audience to learn. Well, Charlie, you know, and you've met my daughter, you know, I volunteered and served in the Navy as a naval officer and a destroyer in the Western Pacific and the Persian Gulf. My daughter went to West Point, served in Iraq with the 101st Airborne. What keeps me going is this country. And, you know, I I've, I've, I've served this country in a formal capacity at the early stages of my career in my early 20s. And after I was fortunate enough to make some money, I've decided to served my country ever since I really met Andrew Breitbart right after the financial collapse. I met Andrew a couple of times around the financial collapse of 2008. And the reason I did it, I made a movie then called Generation Zero. It was Mm -hmm. about Gen Z. It's about how Generation Zero is going to get wiped out. What keeps me motivated, quite frankly, is is you, you, Posobiec, the people at Turning Point. I see this generation coming up and we have an obligation to bequeath this generation um, the same constitutional republic with the same basic economic opportunities that were bequeathed to us. I ha- I've had a, a, a blessed life. I had, uh, you know, my dad did make a lot of money, but we had a family of five and my mom was a homemaker. It was kind of a, I look back at it, it was an absolutely golden childhood. I had every break in the world. You think he's going to drop it was one? just terrific. And, oh, yeah. and uh, we want to, pro- I want to provide ready? that and make sure that I'm part of that generation that hands that off. And so what does it that we work seven days a week here at the war room, 18, 20 hours a day is simply that we owe our previous generations 
uh, to bequeath to you guys, the up and coming next generation, really the people under 40, the same country we had. And we're in a fight for that. It's not a given it's going to happen. In fact, starting as you remember, after uh, the election was stolen in November of 2020, Mm -hmm. starting around January 20th when Biden stepped in, we have long odds. All Wall Street's against us, the universities are against us, big tech's against us, Hollywood, the Uniparty, the globalist, the World Economic Forum, but we've got the American people and this participatory populism gets bigger every day and the inclusive nature of it gets bigger every day. And I see guys like you and all these young people picking up the baton. I see the story in the Federalist that now Conservative Inc. You know, says we're not conservatives. Hey, it's fine. We're redefining politics in this country. Fact. The biggest turnaround and victory in political history is not simply going to be 2016, which was number one. It's going to be this midterm election in 2022. And this is d- definitely mm. driven by the people. Ron DeSantis doesn't matter. Steve Bannon doesn't matter. Charlie Kirk doesn't matter. Donald Trump doesn't matter. This is a victory for the people. And if we converge all the forces and people come out and we do, do those things that come in Arizona, we got we got a lot on the table we could lose and not close on. Remember, it's one thing to win, it's the other thing to close. We must close. So this is a people's mm-hmm. victory, and that's what keeps me motivated every day, brother. Mm. A lot of facts in that statement. Yep. Very good. Can't really lend Steve Bannon enough credit or bequeath him. Uh, Bless the ima- you. Yeah, the amount of influence I he's had. dark places. <laughs> in, in, in really reshaping uh, the face of the GOP. I mean, so far have we come from the suit and tie wearing lower your taxes and comprehensive immigration reform having Republican now that we're, um, you know, 19 days away from bringing in the next generation of America first candidates, really the first generation of America first candidates that's going to get this country back on track. Steve Bannon's been at the forefront of that, both as, you know, um, campaign strategist for the 2016 Trump uh, first presidency that his, you know, Great things he lent it to the administration in his two years there before the 2018 midterm elections and what he's done since with the inception of the uh, War Room podcast and, and, and the massive, massive reach he's had and, you know, successes he's had with that as well. I think a lot of people forget, um, you know, this was for contempt of contempt of court in regards to the January 6th committee. Uh, he also received a fine. I believe it was just under $7,000 as well, which is nothing. I mean, he's a millionaire, but that's neither here nor there. I do want to jump in the Wayback Machine real quick because so many of our guests that come on, Cash Patel, Devin Nunes, Christina Bob, Liz Harrington, probably some people that are on today, will always remind our listening audience of, uh, you know, Eric Holder and when he was held in contempt of Congress. Believe it or not, I found the clip. I was looking it up last night and pulled it so you guys can just get a little taste of what the two-tier justice system really does look like. This hour, the Republican-led House of Representatives has voted to hold the Attorney General of the United States, Eric Holder, in criminal contempt of Congress. We heard Eric Holder live on CNN call the vote, in his words, misguided and politically motivated. It all stems from the failed fast and furious gun-running sting operation Mm. and the administration's refusal to hand over certain documents related to it. Some Democrats, a lot of them, in fact, simply walked out of the House in protest just before the contempt vote they refused to even vote wait what what we have seen is a shameful display of abuse of power by the republicans in the house of representatives Mm. instead of bringing job creating creating uh, legislation to the floor the transportation (laughs) bill uh they are holding the attorney general of the united states in contempt of congress for doing his job it's really important to note how this is connected 
with some of their other decisions. Mm. It is no accident, it is no coincidence that the Attorney General of the United States is the person responsible for making sure that voter suppression does not happen in our country, that issues that relate to the civil liberties of the American people are upheld. These very same people are holding him in contempt, are part of a nationwide scheme to suppress the vote. Man, doesn't that sound exactly like what Steve Bannon just said outside of the courtroom? Even some words verbatim? Yep. Really funny how that works. So, yeah, let's not forget exactly what we're dealing with here because uh, it is the most disgustingest people in the history of the universe um, Mm -hmm. and the way they've corrupted all of our federal agencies. And if that wasn't enough breaking news for the day today, uh, just in the last hour here, the Sham Unselect January 6th Committee has officially issued a subpoena for the 45th President of the United States, Donald Trump. Ooh. Yes, I, I will read it. It's coming across the wire right now. Dear President Trump, United States House of Representatives Resolution 503 instructs the Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol to investigate the facts, the circumstances, and causes of January 6th and its attack and issues the relating to the peaceful transfer of power. Pursuant to the directive, we have interviewed more than a 1,000 witnesses, reviewed over a million documents, documents, conducted a public hearing, and vindicated rights in our court against those who have tried to keep relevant information from the unselect committee. As demonstrated in our hearings, we have assembled overwhelming evidence, including from dozens of your former appointees and staff, that you personally orchestrated and oversaw a multi-part effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election and obstruct the peaceful transfer of power in Washington, D.C. You know what would be really funny if he actually shows up? Because we all know that he won't. But if he does, I mean, what's their plan then? It's It's almost like they're winging it. Because if he shows up and starts spitting truth bombs, the entire world will be watching if he does show up. So it's like, you, y'all are really, really gambling here right now. 19 days before the election. This is uh, one of their October surprises, I think. Well, I mean, are they, are they depending on the fact that now they've set the precedent where jail time has actually been achieved for Steve Bannon? Now they think they're going right. to throw uh, Trump in, in jail for longer because... <laughs> now they can like oh we, Bannon got four months but Trump orchestrated it so mm. forever that's a good point or they really royally screw themselves because now since they set this precedent of everything they're doing now out of desperation before the midterms um, we can do the same shit yeah, yeah well, can, we, can we go back and uh, you know hit up the guys that got away with it before now? Well, we don't have to worry about that because <laughs> Devin Nunes says after Election Day, uh, these subpoenas are all thrown in the garbage anyways, as mm-hmm. will the rest of the January 6th committee, literally and metaphorically, I hope. But what kind of turnaround is this, is this subpoena looking like? What what kind of right. time frame do they have to work with? has to be reasonable, so probably won't be in the next 19 days. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, before. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where we'll keep tracking on this. We're obviously going to talk about some of these issues with uh, our guests joining us today. And uh, as we're getting ready to sit down with one right now, uh, let's get caught up on, on one of our favorite America First candidates. All right, joining us first on the show today, he is the Trump-endorsed America First U.S. House Republican nominee, Michigan 3, joining us again with a big campaign update, Mr. John Gibbs. Thanks for coming back on the show. 
Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. No, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. We've seen you all over the place as uh, it's become the norm of most of these campaigns. It seems like everybody we have on, they're somewhere on the road and uh, running real hard. How's everything going? We're in the home stretch now, 19 days before Election Day. How's it looking on your end up there in Michigan 3? I think it looks pretty good. Uh, what's happening is what we're expecting to happen. The closer we get to Election Day, the more people are voting based on the real kitchen table issues of how much money is in my wallet, how much money is in my bank account, uh, they're ignoring the attack ads and they're saying, who is really going to get us back to sanity? You know, as I always say, this uh, election on November 8th is not even so much Democrat versus Republican. It's crazy versus normal. Um, everything is going haywire in the world we live in. Is it is there male and female or is there 57 genders? Should you pay $7 <laughs> a gas or should we have energy independence? Should you be forced to buy an electric car or should you be able to buy whatever kind of car you want? Is it still a free country? Um, people realize we're losing the country we grew up in and going towards something very sinister. And everyone we talk to shares this with us. So I think people realize the craziness, even independence, and even as I call them, those Democrats to the right of Karl Marx are going to come over with us. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. I mean, at some point, like you said, looking at your wallet, looking at your bank account, look at what's going on in your kids' schools, the progressive narrative that this midterm election was going to be about abortion, gun control, and the January 6th committee never really resonated, no matter how much they tried to ram it down our throats. Now they're just going out and saying, you know what, now now we're just going to elect a country full of election-denying racists. I mean, I've seen hit pieces on both you and Herschel Walker that have called you guys racist. I really don't understand how that narrative ever resonates, even when people like Joy Reid goes out and, and says that stuff about you. And we're just in a position right now, John, where in, in just 19 days we're going to take this country back. When you're out there on the campaign trail, what are some of the things saying about your Democrat opponent that uh, is really having them come over to you? Uh, one is people don't like the negativity. Yep. Um, she's running a ton of money. You know, these Democrat candidates are raising a lot more money. Uh, it's not going to help them win. They're going to find out they can't buy the voters. Um, but they're raising a lot in order to run these super negative, absolute lie attack ads. And people come up to me and say, why is she being so negative? Why is she lying about you? And I say, you know what, that's all they've got. They can't talk about the real issues like gas prices, grocery store prices, keeping your streets safe, stopping these schools from teaching your kids absolute nonsense, absolute garbage. They can't talk about it because they're behind all that stuff. So they've got to make up lies, and that's all they have. I hear that from people all the time. And what we are actually seeing in our polling is that my opponent's negative numbers are going up significantly because people are saying, you know what, why can't you just talk about what she believes instead of having to attack you all the time? So that's the number one thing I'm hearing about my opponent. The second is she is trying to portray herself as some kind of moderate, mm. when in fact she is as far left as it gets. And, you know, in our party, we have social liberals, social conservatives, libertarians. We have all kinds of different flavors. They don't have that. It's lockstep. So I tell people, you vote for my opponent, Hillary, you're getting Nancy Pelosi and you're getting Joe Biden, period. They all come together as a package. Don't think you're getting a moderate. I mean, it's a total scam. So uh, I, that's what I'm hearing about my opponent. It's not good. And I think that's also helping us every single day. We're getting better on that going into Election Day. Yeah, and, and I think a big you know, factor into all that success you're having right now is the comprehensive ground game that you used to your advantage since the start of this election cycle. We talk about it with so many people on. We had uh, Mike Collins on the show on Friday of last week, and he was talking about, you know, 
being out there as someone physically touchable. He, he even talked about a time where he ran into somebody and he was just talking about his campaign, not even saying that it's him. And the people that he was talking to was like, yeah, I really wish I could tell this guy that's running for office, uh, you know, exactly how I feel. He's like, well, don't worry about it because it's me. And w this is something that we usually don't see a lot in these election cycles. It's kind of like a beginning gag. And then it kind of does a debate start, which we don't really ever do anymore either. You know, the ground component kinds to, kind of tends to like trickle away. But in this election cycle, we've seen it explode as we head towards the finish line here. What can you say to your team and how hard they're working right now to make sure you get over the finish line with a win on, a, on a November 8th? Our team has been doing really, really excellent work, and we've been doing this since the primary. Yep. We went out and visited every single city and township in our newly drawn congressional district. Uh, we met thousands of voters where they were at. And as you said, when people can look you in the eyes and size you up and get a feel for you, that is worth gold. And it does a lot more than a TV commercial or a mailer. And when people have that kind of good impression, when they can talk to you, they go and tell their friends, they tell their neighbors, they tell their coworkers. They actually will draft up an email and send it out to their family and friends and say, here's who I recommend that you guys vote for. It has a, a huge impact. And my opponent doesn't have that. She has really no grassroots, no ground game, but she has money. So that's like trying to win a war by airstrikes alone. You can't do it. You got to have ground troops. Um, so it's not going to work for it. And we're, we're very happy with what we see on the ground. Um, I, everywhere I go, I was walking out of a store today and there's these three young uh, black guys. I walk by them and then they say, yo, I know that nigga. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. And uh, so we're seeing that everywhere I go. I had a DoorDash delivery guy come and deliver my food. Also another young black dude. He uh, gives me my food, goes, walks back, turns around, comes knocking my door again. And he says, I just wanted to ask you, all those attack ads are running against you can't be true, can they? I said, no, they're not. Let me explain to you why. And he said, thanks for telling me that. I knew they couldn't be true. Oh, and I said, thank you for actually asking a question. That's the right thing to do. Nice. That's awesome. And, and it's like you're talking about meeting with the people like that. You, you've even took it to another level. You went on a, a local radio station in the area yesterday that's hosted. The, well, the host is a Democrat. And, and you sat down for a conversation with them. How did that go? You know, essentially because it was very similar to the young man that delivered my food the other day. He said, you know what? We see them running all these attack ads and stuff, but we want to hear your side of the story. He goes, I invite all candidates, no matter what side you're on, to come on my show. They didn't come. Now I'm inviting you. And you said, yes, so come on my show, and I'll ask you point blank all these questions. And you can say it's from your, your side of the story because I think it's important to get that out there. So we had a very good conversation. He was very fair. You know, he asked honest questions. He didn't, uh, you know, try to go in there and act like the fake news media. Um, so I appreciated that he was willing to do that. So he's a, a fair-minded person, uh, even though he's a Democrat, and he just uh, you know wants to set the record straight. So I think it's important to have folks out there like yourself and like uh, Mr. Womack, who did that interview with us. Uh, so we, we think it was a great opportunity. It went really well. John, what, what, what events do you have coming up here in the next couple of weeks that uh, you're really going to want people to get out to and help support your campaign? We're doing a door knocking tomorrow um, uh, here in the district. Um, and that's going to be on our website, so people can go and check that out. Um, that's over in Cascade here in the district. We're going to be going to the local um, uh, university here in my district and go to the football game and tailgate, so that should be a lot of fun. We'll nice. have a lot of folks stop by that and be able to mix and mingle with lots of folks, especially a lot of the students. We're seeing a really good reaction from a lot of the college students. Um, I was even in a parade we had a couple weeks ago. Uh, my group, which was the biggest group in the parade, we had over 80 people. Awesome. We were behind a high school marching band, and they all ran up and wanted to take pictures and ask me all kinds of questions, and one of the young women says, uh, what do you think about abortion? I said, well, I think babies are adorable and cute, so they shouldn't have to die. And she liked that answer. 
And so um, we're seeing a lot of traction from uh, young folks, and we will be seeing that on Saturday at our tailgate. Um, other than that, people can go to my website, votejohngibbs.com, click on events. You can see all the events we have coming up, whether it's a town hall or door knocking or uh, a rally or whatever it might be. So uh, if people go to the website, votejohngibbs.com, they can see where I'm going to be at. No, that's it right there, John. I mean, we've tracked your – we were one of the first interviews after you declared your candidacy for Michigan 3. We've sat down with you so many times over the course of this election cycle. And uh, just to watch you rise to the top and, and are primed for a big victory there in your district, it's uh, – we can't give you enough credit for how hard you're working and know in, in, in the next three weeks how hard you're going to be working to make sure that America First wins at the ballot box on November 8th. Where can we find you across social media? Uh, thanks so much, guys. You can find me at votejohngibbs.com. That has a link to all my social media. I recommend you follow on Facebook and Twitter and the other platforms. Uh, but that's, again, votejohngibbs.com. If people can chip in a little bit, I'm up against the Wall Street-funded uh, opponents. Uh, so any dollar you can uh, do helps. You can, again, go to votejohngibbs.com to do that. And also, you can sign up for our prayer list. Um, we're one of the few campaigns that has it. Another campaign contacted me and said, can we do that too? I said, God invented prayer, not me. So don't ask me. <laughs> no. um, so, uh, um, so please sign up for our prayer list and, uh, and pray for us all the time. So yeah, votejohngibbs.com is where people can get plugged in. I love it, John. We wish you the best of luck and health on the last 19 days of the election cycle here. And we'll circle back with you at some point before you're elected into Congress uh, in January over the holiday season. This is the Trump-endorsed America First Republican nominee, Michigan 3, Mr. John Gibbs. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Take care. A lot has been written about the corruption of politicians. You've seen that before. But really not enough has been said about how unbelievably boring they are in person. That's the main thing you notice when you have dinner with them. Their main interest is themselves. That's what they talk about. It's all they can talk about. And it's very tedious. Narcissism always is tedious. Hmm. And so one of the great and happy and unexpected surprises of this cycle is how many interesting people are running around the country. People have something to say that isn't necessarily about them. People who have interests beyond just accumulating more power. J.D. Vance in Ohio, Carrie Lake and Blake Masters in Arizona, Joe Kent in Washington State, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Yes. None of these people has been in politics before. All of them seem to be listening to voters, listening, not just talking. And amazingly, all of them could win on November 8th. And if they do, that's a huge problem for the Democratic Party and for the people in charge more broadly. It's a potential disaster. It's one thing to elect more Mitch McConnells, tame Republicans who know what the rules are. The first rule, of course, is you must lose. <laughs> People like that will play along as they faithfully have for decades. But what would happen if someone like Blake Masters or J.D. Vance wound up in the U.S. Senate? Can't wait. That would be disruptive. Mm. These are not people who care about secret partisan arrangements or even about partisan affiliation. They might actually try to change the country for the better. So if you're benefiting from the current disaster, that's a scary prospect. But no one running for office right now is quite as scary to people like that as Carrie Lake. Mm -hmm. She's running for governor of Arizona. Lake may be the most skillful communicator in American politics right now. But most terrifying of all, she spent 30 years in television news. So when Carrie Lake says the media are corrupt, she's not guessing. She lived right in the middle of it for decades. <laughs> this is a deeply unsettling message for Democrats to hear because it strikes at the heart of their power. Without the complicity of the media, there is no chance neoliberal Democrats could get elected to office. Not one.
You know, I like that part of Tucker's Cold Open last night, so I, I pulled it for the show as we're going to play Midterm Roundup in our News 1. We'll be doing Midterm Roundup in our News 1 from here until Election Day. And, uh, you know, it, it's just interesting to see. Uh, we're going to be talking about it throughout the course of our show today. All of these polls have moved everybody within the margin of error, and now we're seeing these states that historically, especially in uh, midterm elections, are just not on the table for Republicans, places like Oregon and Washington State, Connecticut and New Hampshire. Um, and... and the governorship in, in, in the state of New York, absolutely unprecedented. And, and here we are not worrying about some of these Trump-endorsed America First candidates that repression polls were seemingly down like, you know, Dr. Oz almost 30 points a couple of months ago. Now he's within two, which probably means he's up to, as are a lot of the other candidates who are, are fighting across the board right now. Um Antoinette, you're, you're, you've been keeping an eye on all the stuff that's going on with the midterm elections. You're starting to see all the polls narrow, and Democrats finally start to admit that the uh, actual kitchen table issues are the issues of this midterm election, not gun control and abortion, but how much is in your bank account, how much you've lost in your 401K, and uh, how they're teaching your kids to conduct blowjobs in the classroom. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you really think that the red wave... I mean, we've always held the line on this show. I think places like the War Room, a couple other pundits out there, very few of them did. There was a lot of dooming and worrying going on uh, for, for like the last five or six weeks in regards to that. But we never said it was going away because when you just look at the numbers, how could it? Um, for as much as the mainstream media wanted to make the candidates appear unattractive, they are some of the best ones we've ever had in probably our lifetime. What, what, what do you think's coming here in the next 19 days? I think, like, to be fair, I stopped. To uh, be fair. In 2015, 2016, <laughs> <laughs> for one, two, um, whatever that the other side is reporting, I believe it's a lot worse. Like oh, you yeah. said, minus two, probably minus two times a thousand. Yeah. Um, I think what's happening now is a revolution in in sorts. You know, the the old guard, even on the GOP side, is getting decimated and exposed as well along with the left. And I honestly truly believe that this next election is going to be historical for, for our country and for everyone. This revolution will be televised. Yes, it will. This one, at least. Well, unless they stop counting <laughs> <laughs> live on air. Mm, I like it. You know what else I like is the fact that Carrie Lake jumped on with Tucky right after his cold open tonight. Let's hear a part of their... Uh, exchange on his show. You were so attacked and reviled that news channels who might be sympathetic to you or people who might be sympathetic to you didn't even bother to talk to you because like, there's no chance you could win. Now you are winning. That's an amazing achievement. What advice would you give to other candidates? Oh my gosh, fight back. I mean, you know, here's, here's the beautiful thing, Tucker. People really aren't watching a lot of these news channels. And right. I know it because I used to be privy to some of the ratings of the local news. And so they show up and 90% of them are liberal leftists. And probably of that 90%, 89, well, maybe 100% of them aren't that smart. And they think they're so powerful. And I just decided to start bringing a camera and a microphone and turning the camera on them. You know, here's how it goes. They, they, they throw you a question. It's loaded with a whole bunch of garbage. They're, there's obviously an agenda in their question and a soliloquy. And then they get you to answer it. But they cut their part out so they don't look like a fool. Well, we decided right. to start putting their part right out on the Internet and showing people what the media is up to. And, and they've been lying and doing hit pieces about me. I've been on the campaign trail for 506 days, but who's counting? And they've been lying almost the entire time. 
but the people just aren't buying it anymore. I mean, they're turning it, they're tuning into to people like you. You you've got the ratings. The CNNs of the world don't have the ratings anymore, and they're losing their power. And if they're lying about me every single night, imagine what else they're lying about when it comes to happenings in the world. Mm. It's really well, it's, it's really sad and sick. It's it's terrifying because they do have so much power because both parties take them seriously. So you left a good job in which you were succeeding. You spent your life in television and you decided to leave that and run for governor with no political experience in your background. Just sum up. What an interesting decision. Why did you decide to do that? Well, because I, I really recognized that the media was becoming all propaganda, and I, I didn't want to lend my, my soul, my spirit, my brain, my mind to any of that. And the people yeah. then, when I, re when I resigned, asked me to run for office. And, and let's face it, the Republican Party has the ideas that work. We've got the common sense ideas. And the yeah. Republicans have been running from that rather than going out and showing people yep. that we have the good ideas. We don't have to yes. allow the left and the liberals and the media to dictate what we're talking about. We need to dictate what we're talking about. We have the exactly. better ideas. We're on the right side of things. I mean, they call you an extremist. I can't imagine a more moderate and sensible message than the one that you're delivering. And I, I hope that people study your campaign no matter what happens. Yeah, well, we've been studying it since she said 506 days last night. Today's 507. We were in it about what, 500? I mean, she yeah. even talked about in her first interview with us, she had not officially announced her candidacy for the governor when we originally had asked her to come on the show the first time and sat down with her and did like a long 35-minute interview. And she was just... We knew it. Yeah, <laughs> to watch her ascend has it, it, been one of the biggest enjoyments of, of, you know, my time in the political world. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, moving forward, we are going to be extremely happy with the work that Carrie Lake does, keeping it on the same ticket and uh, staying in the battleground state of Arizona. Jesse Waters hosted Blake Masters yesterday. And, you know, Tucker Carlson let in with saying some of these Senate candidates who are literally from outside of the box of Republican politics, Blake Masters, J.D. Vance, to name two. I think Herschel Walker is another big one. Really have the opportunity to change this country for the better because they don't care about what cocktail hour they're going down to. They care about securing the border and making America great again. Let's hear him talk about uh, some of these issues with Jesse yesterday on his show. In Arizona, and he joins me now. So I know you've been out and about in Arizona. Can you feel something brewing out there? Oh, absolutely. The uh, the energy on the ground here, Jesse, is is absolutely incredible. Uh, we've got patriots fired up. You know, obviously our Republican grassroots is fired up. But every day I talk to independents, I talk to Democrats, and they're fed up too. Everybody knows Biden's agenda has been a train wreck. And as people learn about my opponent, Mark Kelly's track record, well, he pretends to be a moderate, pretends to be an independent. Nope. In D.C., Mark Kelly rubber stamps Joe Biden's failed agenda. People are sick of this. They want to make a change. We saw people a little over a decade ago against the bailouts, Republican and Democrats against those bailouts. Obamacare, hugely unpopular with both parties. And people have thought the system's been rigged for a long time. Are you seeing people across the political spectrum fed up with everything? Absolutely. No, we the people are waking up. We are rising up. You saw it in that video that you played with AOC, right? That's, uh, that's a perfect encapsulation of Democratic Party politics today. Just a bunch of activists yelling at each other. Meanwhile, nothing works, right? What was going on in AOC's New York right outside that political meeting? Well, you got rats infesting the street, garbage everywhere. Crime has gone through the roof under Joe Biden's administration, under the crazy, you know, no cash bail uh, policies in New York. Like, this is really crazy.
Just look around. Everything's on fire. It wasn't like this 21 months ago. 21 months ago, we had a secure border. Inflation was one and a half percent. Crime was under control. And Joe Biden's policies are basically destroying this country. People are mad as hell. We're not going to take it anymore. Yeah. In AOC's district, migrants are living better than a lot of her residents. People are getting stabbed on the subway. Yep, they certainly are. And, and that whole city is burning down relatively quickly. It's good to see that Lee Zeldin is, is putting one hell of a race together there and uh, is hopefully going to get Kathy Holschel, the non-elected, radical, crazy-ass governor of New York, kicked the hell out of there on November 8th. She, she's a disaster. She's one of your favorites, right, Antoinette, when she wears the Vax necklace? <laughs> I fucking died. <laughs> when when she did that, I was like, wow, who the hell? I mean, it can't, like, the majority of people cannot be falling for that bullshit. It's so cringe. And she's, yes, she's been a disaster, and that's saying the least to say the least families in new york and i worry about them all the time you know my siblings who are younger than me you know it's like fuck i've never in my life thought in my lifetime i would see new york turn into what it's become now it's crazy no i I completely agree with you i didn't didn't think so either as someone who frequented the empire state a lot growing up in uh, the garden state of new jersey and like we said your family lives there our great friend geisha lives there fish burrow lives there our our really good friend alan uh lives in new york and always goes into the city for business so it's definitely something that we hope bill lee's delden could pull this off it would be we used to say that there were going to be upsets in this election cycle. That would be one of the biggest political upsets in the history of modern politics, to be honest with you. Uh, switching it up to the battleground state of Pennsylvania right now. I don't know if you guys had heard. John Fetterman officially released his medical records. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. No. Via a doctor who donated the max amount to his campaign and candidates <laughs> like Raphael Warnock. Oh, nice. Were they redacted? Nope. <laughs> But they were released live on the air on CNN yesterday. You want to hear about some of the great things they had to say about him? Check this one out. Yes. Hasn't released his full medical records yet. Is this enough to assuage critics? I think it is. I don't even think he needed the note, to be honest with you. You've seen the guy is a political uh, athlete, one of the best ones I've ever seen. He's pure talent. What? He looks and sounds and acts like the state of Pennsylvania, what? similar to like a Tim Ryan, right? He is traveling all over the state of Pennsylvania and having, if rallies are a measurement of enthusiasm, like the former president used to measure, uh, this guy is holding rallies all over the state with huge numbers. He really? gave NBC, The Today Show, I think he gave them 45 minutes. Oz gave them 15. This guy has showed that he's more than capable of doing the job. Was was his 45 minutes because it took him longer to read the teleprompter? That's so fucking (laughs) funny. He literally compared him to Donald Trump. I can't deal. This is so funny. He is amazing. He is is Pennsylvania. He looks like the the live-action Super Mario movie Goombas. Did you just say... Did you just say Pennsylvania is a bunch of... Hobo Shrek looking retards? Oh. Wow. I was going to ask you to cue the, the Alex Jones. So basically they made it sound like it was a doctor's note. So yes. did it say, please excuse Mr. Fetterman from dying while serving a six year term in the Senate? Yeah. Pretty it's like much. a hall pass. So wait, did they actually release the document, like the the official document? The doctor who treated him wrote a brief and uh, released it to the public via his office. Again, remember, max donations to his campaign and one similar like Raphael Warnock. So basically okay. they just gave him his money back probably. Yes. 
Yeah, and then there there was like nothing in it that specifically showed like you know vitals, you know, full blood count, all that. But you know, you know, we always got receipts on steak for breakfast. That medical expert did say that John Fetterman not only looks so apparently, <laughs> the Mushroom Kingdom is Pennsylvania now. <laughs> I'd like to apologize to all of our Pennsylvania listeners. But sounds like Pennsylvania. I pulled a small montage together of just what John Fetterman's uh, verbal for- track record sounds like. Let's check it out. Watch out for third of our shows. inmates and not make anyone less safe. My hope is there's a political will to abolish death by incarceration for second degree murder uh, here in Pennsylvania because it's a tragedy. If we could reduce our prison population, we could return these individuals back to their families, back to their communities, and and everyone is safer or better off. In many cases, they don't even need to be there or should be there. If you had a magic wand and you could wave it and fix one thing, what would it be? Life without parole in Pennsylvania. We could save billions in revenue long-term. We could save thousands of, of lives. We're in a pandemic warehousing people that we don't need to have in prison. If you didn't directly take a life, why should you have your life taken through through, through yeah. incarceration? You could reduce Pennsylvania's prison population by one third and not make anyone less safe. There could be political bipartisan buy into it and that is eliminating the felony murder law, figuring out who exactly are in our prisons and do they really need to be there? Uh, and, and I would say that a significant percentage of them do not and should not be there. We have a catastrophic bottleneck in our prisons of over 5,000 men and women condemned to die in prison. And many of them, I believe personally, are deserving of a second chance. We could reduce our prison population by a third and not make anyone less safe. Does anybody think that that is how this works? Let's just let a third of the people out of prison and we're going to be just as safe as we were. Like, Get rid of felony murder. Like, what the fuck? Just because you kill him the first time. So he's basically saying that our justice system doesn't work because Mm -hmm. these people are going into jail who murder... What he said didn't directly murder somebody. So if, second degree murder. If, if the re- result of your crime, if your crime didn't result in murder, like maybe attempted murder, I don't know, manslaughter. Fact of the matter is, the city of Philadelphia, for the second year in a row, will eclipse six hundred murders, and this guy wants to let five thousand convicted felons out of prison and unleash them on the state of Pennsylvania. Gavin Newsom. I mean, this is what their plan is basically to cause chaos. And, yes, it is. You know. So from legaldictionary.net, we have second degree murder is a criminal law term that describes the killing of another human being without premeditation, but with intent. Second degree murder may also refer to a death caused by an individual's negligent or reckless conduct. Hmm. 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 So, secondary murder, the killing of another human being intentionally without without premeditation. So, anybody hear of this guy before he started to run? So, like, he basically came out of nowhere. I mean, I haven't really been in the loop because I've been busy. He was the mayor of an obscure town that saw a 500% increase in crime, and he's also, he's the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously hasn't been serving in context because of his massive disabilities, but the alternative does look a lot better and is starting to really gain steams or hitting election day. Sean Hannity sat down for a town hall last night, 
Pennsylvania edition. Had on Doug Vember himself, Doug Mastriano, and one of our favorites, mm. Dr. Mehmet Oz. Nice. Dr. Oz jumped right into it talking about well, another thing that John Fetterman supports is the, you know, the, those one-stop shops where you can get all of your uh, – you know, you get a new needle, you get a little bit of heroin, not enough to die, and then you do it, you sleep on the cot for a couple hours, and you get out, you give them your dirty needle, and then you go commit crimes all over the city. Uh, Pennsylvania does have the largest open-air drug market. We're supplying them with heroin? In the city of Philadelphia, yeah. So John Fetterman is, you know, the, the whole clean needle with the controlled amount of drugs that they're allowed to do because of the fentanyl crisis. Oh, so they're getting the drugs from the CIA then. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, Perfect. But but the fact of the matter is... The um, stock. Yeah. Actually, yeah, the good stuff. The age. Well, let's hear Dr. Oz weigh in on it because I think as a medical expert, he could probably lend a little bit more commentary than Use me. Use the code CIA for a big, big It's become ground discounts. zero for fentanyl deaths. We're number three in the nation. Wow. We have the largest open-air drug market in Philadelphia. You go for blocks and blocks. Only see addicts with needles sticking out of their bodies. And we're farming homelessness. Literally, Democratic policies have resulted in something that's shameful. They won't go there. I go there. Because I want to show that Republicans care about everybody. And I think our party has a big enough tent, and we love people at wherever they are in their journey, that we can help people in addiction. And that's where we're going to win. I do want our listenership to remember, we did play that clip of Dr. Oz not too long ago when he was out on the campaign trail. He ran into a whole bunch of addicts who, after talking to Dr. Oz, wanted to clean up their life. So he was out in, like, a Ford F-150. He loaded up the bed of the truck and threw a couple people in the back with him and drove him to the nearest rehab center. Dr. Uh, Oz? Yeah. It, 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 wow. Yeah, it's one of the things that, you know. He, oh, so now Dr. Oz is going to get charged with kidnapping. Great. There you go. <laughs> oh, but they, uh, staying in the same thread, one of the biggest issues with Pennsylvania right now is how the federal government and, and the, you know, the progressive uh, – governor there has completely shut them off from being one of the largest energy producers in the world in Pennsylvania. You know, uh, Doug Mastriano has come on this show several times and talked about, you know, places like Lithuania and Germany ready to buy natural gas and oil from the state of Pennsylvania. He wants to have a pipeline that goes from Pennsylvania straight down out of the tri-state and into some of the lower ones and produce, you know, oil for places like Maryland and uh, really drive down the gas prices in this country as Pennsylvania could become uh, you know, energy independent and, and, and help the United States get back towards energy dominance again. He touched on that. Let's talk about it before we get into uh, Doug Mastriano weighing on the same subject. Race is now neck and neck. I focused on the issues you mentioned, especially the economy, crime, and the border with drugs. Gas. Right? Well, gas is part of, to me, the economy, because if you really want to drop inflation, and it's a much less painful way than raising interest rates, allow natural gas to be unleashed in Pennsylvania. Tom Cotton is coming out. Cotton and I were on wellheads just to look at this. But when you say that fracking is a stain on Pennsylvania, which John Fetterman did, and you showed videos of him saying what he actually believes, that's insulting to people who are making their living in that area. Yep. It actually destroys communities. And we drive up inflation because energy drives one third of the, of the total inflation that we see. Sounds like he's pretty honed in on the issues. I mean, I, I really like how strong he's coming in. And we don't have a clip from him this week. We'll try to pull one for our Battleground uh, edition of the Great Steak Breakfast tomorrow. Remember, our live show is on Saturday, tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Adam Lexall, new internal campaign numbers just came out, plus five in the state of Nevada. So Ooh. he's looking yeah. to, yeah, really looking to turn it on. We know Antoinette's excited to vote for both him and Joe Lombardo on November 8th, but Staying in this Pennsylvania town hall, Boomer Sweats had Doug Mastriano on as well. They were talking about um, restoring 
well, common sense to the Commonwealth in the Keystone State of Pennsylvania. Let's hear uh, Doug Vember weigh in. Give me the top five issues, because we're running out of time, that you want the people of Pennsylvania to know you will do if elected governor. Yeah, my campaign, so go to DougForGov.com and help us out, but uh, my top issue is uh, freedom. It's about restoring individual freedom. So on day one, we're going to rip away the restrictions on our energy sector. We're going to drill and dig like never before. We're going to mm. be added a carbon tax. We're going to restore common sense to the Commonwealth, and that means no more boys in the, in the girls' bathroom, no, no more boys on the girls' team. On day one, we're no longer a sanctuary state. When those ghost flights show up, our beautiful Pennsylvania State Police will escort those busloads of, of illegals down to <laughs> Delaware. Joe Biden can have them. <laughs> uh, Doug really came on strong in this and uh, gave out a couple of good talking points. We'll, we'll probably cover a little bit more of what he's been doing on the campaign trail, working so hard, big grassroots following. Uh, you know, really unfortunate how the establishment GOP has kind of left him to uh, twist in the wind, but it hasn't hurt him in the polls. He, he's surging right now, and I really do feel uh, Doug Mastriano will be the next governor of the state of Pennsylvania. Um, well, you'd never believe it. MSNBC is having a meltdown. Everybody's least favorite commentator on that network, and there are a lot of them, Chris Hayes, uh, you know, is trying to tie this whole narrative with the Joe Biden gas prices and, and the midterm election. Um, you know, we, we've been talking about the strategic petroleum reserves for so long now and how they're, you know, 77 million more barrels are getting thrown into our economy here in the United States before Election Day just to keep the gas prices from going up high as they already are. They're still double the price that they were in California than, than during the Trump administration. Let's hear him kind of grift a little bit on this narrative and uh, maybe even cry a little bit. Oil companies, OPEC, Saudi's not exactly eager to make sure prices are low before an election where Democratic candidates are vulnerable. Hmm. All of them. It's also why Saudi Arabia might want to suddenly announce a cut in oil production right before the midterms. <laughs> of course, Democrats can't just throw their hands up and say, they oh, hate well, Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. because the future of American democracy is in, as we report night in, night out on this program, real peril, existential peril. One of the two major parties is currently under the thrall of a guy who tried a violent coup unsuccessfully, but has basically announced he'd do it all over again. By one analysis, 60% of Americans will have an election denier on their ballot this November. You like that one? The stakes in the upcoming elections are the highest they've been in a very long time. This is the first po post-coup election in America. We cannot expect threats to democracy to be the only salient issue for voters, even if it is salient for a lot. I mean, you know, there's millions you of voters and on, like, people have complicated <laughs> busy lives and they've got things they're thinking about when they go to the polls, like the cost of living, inflation. And yes, gas prices, well, the one hear... price in America that is posted on every street corner, Admitting those digits, yeah. they are going to be front of mind for voters. Yeah. And so we find ourselves in a situation where keeping gas prices low is key to preserving and strengthening the future of our democracy. Mm. And so... Here we are. Hence, Biden releasing oil from the reserves today. Wow. And all this speaks you to like what the future side? of our elections will look like. Because it's you can't just count on one thing to preserve American democracy. You can't just count on the voters to vote for it. And you can't just count on the courts. And you can't just count on civil society. It's going to require a broad coalition of factors. People being smart and tactically astute, all working together across the spectrum of civil society to preserve the American experiment. You catch that last part? Mm -hmm. It's going to take a lot more than just the voters who go to the ballot boxes and cast their ballots on Election Day to preserve the sanctity of whatever his vision of democracy is. It's going to take <laughs> a lot of other things. He I feel said. like when they say democracy, they don't actually mean democracy. I feel like they just mean 
totalitarian regime. Democratsy. Yeah. Did you hear did you hear that real organic sigh wow. he let out after he went on that rant about all those issues that it must be so hard to finally admit crime, the economy, and inflation. And he was like <sighs> And it's just like, how does it feel after, like, not being able to report on it for the last six months because your producer said you weren't allowed to? It's like there's a gun behind him, and he's just like, fuck, I have to say this. I always look for these guys to see if there's, like, the dot moving across their forehead from the sniper, like the doctor, the doctor. No, this is more of the the situation when they have, like, the gun jabbed directly at their testicles, and they can feel it under the desk. Yeah. Oh, man, poor guy. Yeah, there there is complete meltdown on the left. Uh, Consequential, um, or I'm sorry, corresponding with that poll that came out showing Adam Lexalt, Joe Lombardo has pulled off the same internal polling data showing he is at plus five in the state of Nevada right now. So cool. look, looking good there. And we're going to end this segment right now. Uh, Lion Ted Cruz, who's been out, I, ha- I have to give him a lot of credit. I was not a huge fan of Ted Cruz. I'm definitely not a fan of him for president. Maybe SCOTUS down the road a piece. I like him as senator. Um, mm-hmm. We've come to learn that he's one of the biggest helpers when Donald Trump transitioned in 2016. And that's kind of when I turned, you know, I might not like everything he does or says or acts, but he is pretty funny. He's based. He'll go on Steven Crowder every once in a while and just have a complete screw around episode with him. But, but, you know, and, and he was one of the first 2016 Republican candidates who came out this election cycle and said, you want to know what? I'm not even thinking about president. We're all waiting for Donald Trump to make his announcement so we could figure out that we're not running in this race. I thought that was huge class, and now he's been out in the state of Arizona, up in New Hampshire, down in North Carolina, really working for these Trump-endorsed candidates. He's like, you know, as far out of the orbit as Trump adjacent as you can, but he knows what's at stake here. He sat down with Boomer Sweats last night to do a little, uh, you know, how he projects the midterm election is going to go, most likely on the Senate side, but let's hear Lion Ted weigh in. The Senate in particular, we got to, look, Marco Rubio, Always have a tough race. He's winning. He's up in the polls in Florida. Herschel Walker. Uh, you've got Tim Scott. I'm not worried about him. Ted Budd is running a good campaign. That's yep. a tough race. I believe General Bolduck can win in New Hampshire. Yes. Dr. Oz has to yep. win if the Republicans yep. have any yep. shot at at taking back the Senate. Uh, we got Ron Johnson joining us later. We got J.D. Vance. We got Eric Schmidt. We got Blake Masters. We got Adam Laxalt. We got Tiffany Smiley out in Washington. What a slate. Of all those places, what do you predict? What are you seeing? What are you feeling on the ground? You know elections. Look, I think there's enormous energy. I think we're going to retake both the House and Senate in the House. I think we're going to end up with a big majority. I think we're going to end up with a majority in the range of 30 to 50 seats, which yes. is historic. It's on the order of what we saw in 2010. I think that same sort of election is coming in November in the Senate. I think we're going to take the majority, and I think we could be anywhere between 51 and 57 seats. Oof. I'd probably predict right now 53 or 54 is, is where I think the Senate is. You know what's really striking? You were listing where you're going, Sean. I was, I was listing where I, I'm going. You know who's not doing that? Joe Biden. Joe Biden is nowhere to be found in Georgia. He's nowhere to be found in Nevada. He's nowhere to be found in Arizona. He's nowhere to be found in New Hampshire. He's nowhere to be found in Ohio. He's nowhere to be found in North Carolina. Why? Because none of the Democrats running want to be anywhere near him. They're running away desperately from the failed agenda of the radical left. That really says something when the president of the United States is, is, is a millstone around the neck of these Democrat <laughs> candidates. But they've been rubber stamps for the radical left agenda for two years, and, and now they're forced to face the voters. I like it. You know, Ted Cruz is out there forecasting steak for breakfast numbers on the show. I think that's a, 
that's a pretty good indication of where we're going to go. If there's one thing Ted Cruz doesn't usually do, it's talk out of his ass. I think we could all agree on that. So he's probably seeing some real internal polling that's showing a lot of these candidates, especially, you know, the America First Trump-endorsed ones, um, up in these polls as we're starting to see more and more. Now, before we end this segment, I, I know we touched on it in our cold open a little bit, but, you know, this news is breaking kind of as the show's going on. Donald Trump has just issued a statement mm. on the subpoena issued by the January 6th committee today. Yeah. I can't wait. All right. The, F- the FBI and Department of Justice, I'm quoting now, paid a man $200,000 to spy on me and then offered a million-dollar bounty to try and prove a totally made-up and fake dossier. That's the, the P dossier mm-hmm. about me. They went down in flames. Are now leaking nonstop on the document hoax to the fake news. Who could ever trust this corrupt, weaponized agency that includes NARA, who disrespects our Constitution and Bill of Rights to keep and safeguard any records, especially since they've lost millions and millions of pages of information from previous presidents? Also, who knows what NARA, and that's the uh, governing body who, you know, uh, is in charge of uh, presidential records, and the FBI plant into these documents or subtract from them? I guess we'll never know. Will we? So he, nice. he, he was talking more about the Mar-a-Lago thing there. I, I'm, if, if we do get an official announcement on uh, the subpoena that was issued today, we'll bring it to you. But like I said, this is kind of breaking as we're cutting through the show right now. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about that in a whole lot more with two of our favorite uh, political commentators, both former top White House aides to Donald Trump coming in hot right now. Joining us next on the show today, he's the former deputy assistant to President Trump, uh, one of our great friends. We seem to have a, an amazing conversation every time he comes on the show, regardless of his health level. Last time, I guess it was a little uh, pneumonia-induced, and uh, th- this time it looks like he's 100%. Theo Wald, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Right. And I promise I'll, I won't be wheezing into the microphone today. Yeah, you sounded okay last time. It wasn't bad. <laughs> Noah's, Noah's that engineer guy. He makes even cough sound good. Mm. Yeah, there we go. So... I mean, there's a lot of news breaking, I, I think, uh, some domestically this morning. And then, of course, yeah. in the U.K., that's where I want to start. I, I mean, obviously, our listenership today, our cold open, we went in with the uh, sentencing for Steve Bannon. You saw that, Theo. What's your yeah. hot take on that whole situation? Yeah, I mean, nothing. I, I, I would just say nothing too original, only in that um, if you recall from, from uh, you know, the Obama administration, I mean, Eric Holder refused to hand over, I mean, troves of documents that Congress requested yep. for a number of operations that the Obama administration was running clandestine operations. Um, and he was held in contempt of Congress and there was never uh, a move to, you know, to actually send uh, Eric Holder to jail, probably because he was running the department that would have done that. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I, I second or, you know, uh, affirm what's been said by a number of our friends this morning, which is it's just further proof of how the Department of Justice has been completely politicized. Mm-hmm. And, and our problem on our side is we still have a number of friends, allies, you know, fellow travelers uh, who will say, well, you know, it's just this Department of Justice or it's just Merrick Garland. And having served in the department and seen, um, you know, the degeneracy and the corruption up close, you know, to the extent that you had clerical staff there who would tell me essentially, you know, uh, tough cookies, I'm not even going to make photocopies for you. I mean, no joke. Um, I mean, the department needs to be full scale, um, not just, you know, not just a stupid hearing and like a review, but we actually need to do a full scale 
um, take it down to the studs and, and really question whether or not we want to rebuild it the way it looks today. Cause this, this is just further proof of, of how, how much authority, how much power, um, and, and how politicized the department is. And then again, for all these fools that we have on our side who think we are going to be saved by article three, there are so many people who say, Oh, it's the judges. It's the judges. It's the judges. Look, I, I, I'll say it till, you know, the, the day that uh, I'm six feet under judges are by temperament. Um, you know, they, they are conservative. And I mean that not in the political sense, they are conservative people. They are of moderate disposition. Um, it, you know, for many of them, especially at the appellate court level, they're essentially living a monastic lifestyle. If you expect them to be the aggressive uh, you know, f- forefront, the tip of the spear, like we're going to be sadly, sadly disappointed. So the fact that, you know, judge Nichols, you know, a, a, a liberal, but uh, nonetheless was happy to go along with the recommendation for the department of justice, not surprising to me in the, in the least. Um, and that's what you're going to get consistently from, I think judge Cannon in Florida, this is why they're, they're losing, you know, completely losing their mind about what she's done in the, uh, you know, the unauthorized raid of Mar-a-Lago yep. Uh, she's supposed to play according to type. She's supposed to follow the script. How dare, uh, you know, a, a federal district court judge actually raise questions about the way the investigation was handled or whether there was probable cause to search the president's home like that. So my take on the Bannon thing is like it, it, this should push people on our side to finally confront the hard reality that maybe the Department of Justice um, has not only lost its way, but needs to be dismantled. No, you're you're 100% right there, and, and, and the fact of the matter is it's like you said it best, I think. The two-tier justice system can be best described as going by following the script or following the law, and we see two different distinct ones with the Mar-a-Lago raid compared to stuff that's gone on with, like, Peter Navarro and Steve Bannon. And we don't, regardless of, of what anybody's take is on Steve Bannon's time within the administration, it's undoubtedly, you know, certain that he is a patriot and, and he's done a lot to, uh, you know, promote and uh, help raise up the America first agenda. And, uh, you know, they, they're probably going to be looking for a reliever at, for some point on that show. I mean, I can only imagine some rotund left-hander who, you know, has comparable narrative. I couldn't imagine off the top of my head who that could be. Noah? Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not me. Listen, I like Jack Posobiec and Charlie Kirk, but commentary-wise, it's like listening to dry sex. Mm. I'll just be completely honest with you. For as young <laughs> and like as really brilliant. Really scratchy? Yes, they're young and very brilliant, but they're just not funny. And uh, they sound very scripted. So mm. if you want to get, I mean, we've already made Theo laugh just oh, on that you. alone. Oh, it's you. It's you. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, of I, course. I did put across all my social media today that I was not tapped to fill in, but that was because Bannon was coming back right after sentencing, which he did. Mm. Um, well, someone and, and real quick, let me let me let me just add one thing to what you just said, which I think is super important. Uh, with Jeff Clark, with Peter Navarro, with Roger Stone, with Steve Bannon, what, what these guys all have in common is they're actually like brains. Yep. I mean, they are the intellectual heft of of our movement. So it's not just oh, well, they got someone who was an advisor to Trump, or they got a lawyer who may have you know you know propounded some theory on on the election certification process. No, no, no. They're going after the very guys who are the idea generators. Um, so as you said, you know, regardless of how anyone feels about Bannon's service in the actual White House, it's unquestionable that he is the leading hub, the incubator of what this movement intellectually looks like. Where I idea need to go from here and if they can silence them throw them in jail even for four months it will be a significant loss yeah no that that's it right there i mean they are considered the mothership in this orbit and uh 
you know, thoughts and prayers go out to them as they look legally what the next step is going to be. Someone who's kind of in the same situation, but uh, this is more of a political sense, is uh, Liz Truss over in the U.K. who just completed the shortest stint uh, as a prime minister and uh, stepped down yesterday disgracefully. And it's an absolute shit show over there. You know, they're talking about Boris Johnson coming back and, you know, the Tories are just on their heels. Who knows what their plan is? I mean, I really think that the uh, people who are running in the midterm elections here and those already up on Capitol Hill and in positions of power, Kevin McCarthy, we're speaking to you. Better take a good look at what happens when you think you have a plan and uh, the bottom just falls out. What's your take on everything going on in the U.K.? Yeah, I remember when Frank Luntz said that uh, Republicans should be more like the Tories. Yeah, no. <laughs> that, that aged really well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, here's the thing. Um, as I've said for a long time, there's an element in the Republican Party here in the United States that wants to import David Cameron, what I call lifestyle politics. Uh, just accept the triangulation of Tony Blair and Bill Clinton that will take the actual politics out of politics, any disagreement, any moral principles, um, any convictions, and we'll just make it about managing lifestyle choices. Um, you know, do you, do you want uh, full on uh, polyamory? Do you want gay marriage? Do you want these benefits to be you know given to you on a debit card? Do you want it to be a payment? Just, just how do we manage decline? And I think the interesting thing about uh, trust um, was that she's just, you know, she's essentially a warmed over libertarian, right? I mean, that, I mean, she's, you know, the, the comparisons to Thatcher, I think are very unfair to Thatcher. She's not Thatcher. Uh, didn't have the same convictions, didn't have the same kind of um, service in the actual house that Thatcher had prior to becoming, becoming Tory leader. And, you know, uh, as a number of, of, of good friends of mine have commented on the thing with trust was she essentially accepted all of the precepts of the left. Yep. Um, open borders, mass immigration, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, but she was insanely hawkish on foreign policy, all in on on the Ukraine thing, and then pushing tax cuts for the wealthy and for corporations. And it and it turns out when you look at like the scatter plot diagram of who wants that, um, very few people want that that sort of policy menu. And I think the the worst part for the Tories is. The success, if, if we can say, you know, call it as much, the success for Boris Johnson was uh, in cracking, you know, the, the great blue wall. And why this should interest your listeners here in America, I mean, British politics is wacky, you know, they yell at each other, all that stuff. But the, the analog to the United States is very similar. I mean, the, the blue wall where all the working class um, communities in Manchester and Birmingham, you know, uh, retired miners, people who worked in the energy sector, um, who had essentially been left behind by the upscale uh, Tory party and voted consistently for, for labor, yep. even after labor then abandoned them for the European Union. That's exactly what Trump did uh, with Michigan, with Pennsylvania, with Wisconsin, which was broke, you know, he broke the the left stranglehold on all of those working class uh, you know, white working class families. And I think the Tory party already just in the last two years, uh, forgot, um, that, that they had that success. That was the key to Brexit. Um, that was the key to the realignment politically in, in Britain. And as, as you raised, I think the question for Republicans is going to be, are they going to also forget, uh, what Trump, uh, accomplished in 16 and broke in breaking that stranglehold that the left had on, on working class, um, you know, folks in, in, especially in the Midwest and the Rust Belt and abandon those voters to do the same, the same kind of crap, the same kind of just insane foreign policy, 
gambits all over the world that have essentially no strategic value or strategic interest to American citizens and, and pushing, you know, another round of tax cuts. Um, and, and I think, so Liz Truss is, is, um, instructive for, for us and, and our movement. And if, if this is the policy direction and this is the kind of personnel that you want to push, it ends in, in a cul-de-sac of failure. No, it certainly does. And, uh, you know, just some unprecedented news coming out of there and seeing where they're going to be going. <clears throat> Obviously, we won't be hitting up too much stuff until next week to see what's going on. But it, just the way world leaders have uh, have just absolutely collapsed and risen across the world. You know, with with Bonsolaro down in in Brazil now, looking like he's going to win. We have obviously, uh, you know, a new prime minister in Italy, which is going to bring in like an Italy first agenda stuff that's gone on in Sweden. And, and now you're seeing what's what's happening in the UK. It just seems like there's a huge power grab between the globalists and the nationalists. And uh, this pro- this probably is the last chance for this kind of a narrative to break through. If we don't, if we let another COVID happen, if we let another you know, global whatever catastrophe happened. If we can't do it with something like medically induced, like COVID, we'll do it with something nuclearly induced, like with Russia. And it's just a absolutely crazy times that we're living in. Swinging back here to the to the midterm elections, it seems like a lot of the fake news narratives have fallen off now that we're you know 19 days out from when we go to the ballot box. The you know this midterm elections never was about abortion. It never was about gun control. It never was about the January 6th committee. Uh, the Republicans have, for the most part, stayed strong and overcome a lot of those fake narratives. You're seeing a lot of the legacy uh, progressive outlets say, well, maybe the economy is the number one issue in the country. Maybe we should be concerned about crime. And you, you can only hide it for so long. Polls across the country, especially in the battleground states, have tightened into like pretty much margin of error across the board. They can't even lie about those things anymore. You know, they're still pumping out Joe Biden in the 40s for approval ratings. I can't believe that that's true. Yeah. And, and now you have... We're in a really good position as Republicans heading into the midterms when the left is worrying about New Hampshire, Connecticut, Washington State, Oregon, and New York State in elections. Like, that is absolutely something that we haven't seen the likes of in decades. What is your take on, on what's going on with the midterms right now? It looks like I don't think the red wave ever left. I just think it was repressed by the mainstream narrative. And uh, I, I think we've got some big things coming on November 8th. Yeah, so I think uh, two things I'd say up front. Uh, one, uh, on the House side, it is shocking how little polling has been done yep. this year. Um, you know, I mean, they've they've just essentially, for as much skepticism as we may have about polling, it's, it's remarkable how uh, the legacy media has essentially just dispensed with the whole charade. They, they don't, they don't, they'll, they'll set their type on, on the headline and they'll just roll with it with no underlying support for the thesis at all. So, um, you know, when they were, they were pitching this whole idea that, well, you know, it, it might even be the case that Democrats may keep control of the house. That was predicated on nothing. nothing. There's, just, there's just no polling out there on the House side of things this year. I think on the Senate side, um, you know, uh, there there are some interesting wrinkles, as there always are. Um, you know, uh, helping an old boss of mine down in Utah, Senator Lee, is facing a, a real challenge from Evan McMullen. And I think what McMullen is doing... We usually see this, and we're seeing it again this year from these little-known third-party candidates that are propped up by by Democrat donors and, and Democrat organizational outfits. So, in Arizona and Georgia, Georgia, we have these libertarians who are complete gadflies that have found their way into some money. Shock of all shocks, uh, have been in, invited to participate in the debates and could be, you know, actual spoilers. Could pull off three, four, five percent 
in races that are, are on razor thin margins. So, um, and in Utah, uh, you know, you got Evan McMullen who, who essentially got the support of the Democrat party, but is running as an independent. Yep. So trying to triangulate, you know, um, Romney Republicans with, uh, liberal Democrats, I guess, you know, I, I repeat myself, um, <laughs> but, and then, and then moderates. And so I think that to me though, shows that they're out of, they're out of gas. I mean, they're, they're, they're resorting to their usual hijinks to keep their themselves afloat in some of these competitive bellwether races, especially with, you know, Blake masters in Arizona yeah. and, and Herschel Walker in Georgia. Now on, on the other side of things, as you mentioned, I think what's really interesting is you know, I, I will have to do, uh, you know, a deep dive analysis after the election to see it. Was it a red wave or was it just a full scale repudiation of Democrat policies? And I think both could be true in the sense that we'll see, you know, a, a number of America first folks like, you know, um, Joe Kent uh, and maybe Tiffany Smiley win in places like Washington. But on the other hand, you know, the competitive governor's race in New York and the competitive uh, gubernatorial race in, in Oregon, those are just complete uh, referenda on on Democrat policies, on needle exchanges, on homelessness, on rising crime. I mean, you know, Phil Knight, the CEO of Nike, is yep. not a Republican. He's no. not a conservative. I mean, he, he doesn't agree with us on anything, uh, but he's gone all in for the Republican candidate in, in the Oregon gubernatorial race because he is tired of the, the dysfunction in, in Portland and in Oregon. And it makes sense, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, self-interest rightly understood for a guy like that. It's probably affecting his bottom lines, probably affecting his ability to recruit and retain talent for, for Nike. And so, you know, it's a rejection of the far left progressive policies that have essentially been suffocating, you know, whole, whole parts of the country for the past 10, 15, 20, or in Oregon's case, 40 years. So I, I think, um, you know, is it, is it a red wave or is it also just, I mean, we are looking at a complete rejection and that's why uh, turning back to what we were just, you know, discussing a moment ago, that's why it is so important that Republicans realize that they've got to have a governing agenda. Um, Cause if it is, you know, a mixture of both a successful uh, run for a number of top flight candidates uh, you know, like some of the folks you're going to have on here today, uh, like Gibbs in Michigan that we, we recruited well and we got talent, but at the same time, it's also, uh, you know, voters who have said, I don't know much about the Republican party, what it stands for today. Uh, I know I don't want any more of this crap from the Democrats. Then we've got to fill that void. We've got to step into that and, and provide an actual governing agenda for the next two years leading up to 20, 2024. No, it's, it's, it's the way you got to look at it too. Do you, you know, we just put out a Substack yesterday and one of the things I talked about, uh, you know, the, the premise of it is this midterm election was never about abortion. That's kind of like the underlying tone of the, you know, complexity of the whole narrative, but that was just a generic way to kind of lay it out there. It was never abortion versus America first. It was always about the real issues and what the, you know, the left wanted to promote as uh, fake narratives to try and get their uh, candidates elected, which obviously isn't working. Do you think another component of that, though, was the absolute hatred across the board for Donald Trump when he was president by the administrative state, by all the unelected and, and, and appointed government officials who work in tens of thousands of offices across the country that worked in collaboration with the Biden administration to try and erase his legacy as fast as possible? That kind of just had the dam break so many different places they couldn't, you know, clog it I mean, executive orders to erase some of his policies on day one is one thing, but it was like all of the administrative paperwork that came down the pipe at like the IRS, Border Patrol, ICE, and, you know, every place across the board that was just saying, 
listen, this is the way that whoever was in office in, you know, 2016 and 2020 wanted to do it. We're not doing that shit anymore. We don't care. Like, we're just going to write administrative policies. They want to take it to court. We'll, we'll write some more administrative policies to get around that. And, and, and here we are. Do you think that was a, a, a part of it? Because it, it seemed like things home and abroad just kind of collapsed at the same time. And, you know, Joe Biden can only do so much stuff from the, from the Oval Office. It just seemed like it was a collaborative effort of pretty much everyone to try and erase the Trump legacy. Uh, that, that was like the mainstay in getting the country into the disastrous shape it's in right now. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. Uh, that the disaster we're in now was driven by pure calculated ideology. Um, like when you, when you can shut down, I mean, it was a major accomplishment for the Trump white house and the department of interior under Trump to streamline permitting, to get the regulatory process, uh, so that you didn't have to jump through multiple agencies per project and to get those pipelines up and running. And it was also as you know, Democrats want to just go on and on and on about you know, strategic interests and foreign policy. It was also uh, a major strategic win to keep uh, China out uh, of Canadian oil fields and keep China from being the major recipient from, you know, the, the, uh, the shale uh, development in North Dakota and in Alberta. And those pipelines were set aside for pure ideological reasons by the Biden administration. So when you're looking at, you know, the rising fuel prices that people are paying at the pumps, that that's, that's not because, you know, we didn't have the wherewithal or the knowledge or the insight to, to build the right infrastructure. We didn't have the workers to build it, or we didn't have the policies in place. It was because all of that was scrapped so that they could say we can be carbon neutral by 2040. Right. Um, so ide- ideology is what, what drove us to this. And I think the thing that you just said, is really interesting uh, going back to the, the conversation with the Tories in, in the UK is that there are too many holes now in the levy for the globalists to plug them all at once. Uh, in Sweden, in Italy, um, you know, in, in, uh, you know, in, in, in places like Australia, right. Um, in, in, in Brazil. And then what's going on here, they overplayed their hand during the pandemic, obviously. Uh, and then also this, this full scale attempt to essentially memory hole, um, the successful nationalist policies that are working in places around the world where they're implemented. Um, they, they, they did too much too quickly. And, and I think the most interesting thing there is, um, it, it, they banked on the usual assumption that the left usually has, which is that your average American, your average Italian is too stupid to understand what's going on. Yep. And, uh, you know, as, as it's going to be shown uh, in a few weeks here, um, that was a gross miscalculation because your average American uh, in our electoral cycle uh, saw the change. They, they see it. They feel it. They, they understood how good things were going under President Trump on foreign policy, on the economy, on education, um, and, the, and the kind of tone that the nation had, the way we felt about ourselves, and then the lived reality that they have now under, under uh, you know, Uncle Senile. Um, and so, so I think like that, that lived reality is so stark um, that, you know, average people who are busy, uh, working nine to five, paying mortgages, getting kids through school, um, even even people who are swamped living life in modern America uh, have a feel for how bad and how quickly things change. And I, so, yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's a big part of, of why Republicans are going to be successful. And then again, it's going to hinge on whether they know what they should do with that. And if they return to, uh, you know, the Trump America first policies that set us up on a different trajectory than the one we're on now. Well, that's, a, that's it right there. I mean, you, you want to talk about people saw it. 
So much so that people like J.D. Vance and Carrie Lake, who were not Trump Republicans or ever MAGA in 2016, are now running as part of the gold standard at the top of this election cycle right now. And on November 8th, they're both going to win big seats. Uh, you know, one is the governor of Arizona and other is a senator from Ohio that's going to help get this country back on the right track. Theo, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. We're going to have you back in November after the midterms. We're gonna, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, something we didn't get to today. Uh, what is it looking like down the road for 2025? But I also want to talk about that gap in between there, the next two years and what that's going to look like yeah. as well. I think our listenership will really appreciate that segment. And uh, if you want to tell everybody where they can find you on social media, we'll live link it in the show today. At Real Theo Wold on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, and uh, thanks again for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. No, it's our pleasure. This is one of our favorite segments, and we'll be looking to circle back in a, in a few weeks with you for surely. This is the former deputy assistant to President Donald Trump, Theo Wold. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, guys. All right, joining us next on the show today, she is a former Trump White House advisor, one of our favorite American revivalists. A little less noisy this time because, if you remember, she was at CPAC live on location last time she did an interview with us. But we're happy to have Paige Willie back on the show. Paige, how's it going? It's great. Thanks for having me back on, guys. Oh, no, it's our pleasure. Man, busy times. I, I think the hottest take of the day today on Friday, which is, uh, you know, we saw the verdict of uh, Steve Bannon's sentencing today. Um, outside looking in, you know, at some point, just about everybody who's connected to Trump world worked in the White House. He's obviously a former chief strategist there. Now, when you see what's going on uh, with that whole situation, situations similar like Peter Navarro, maybe even Roger Stone and stuff like that, even what's going on to President Trump in regards to some of the things that he's under, under the legal microscope for, what's your hot take on it? I think many MAGA voters perceive this correctly as the criminalization of dissent. Yeah. And one primary aspect of this is that Steve Bannon is a man who has given up a lot in life to be a voice for the American people, similar to President Trump. And he, as a consequence, because he has a giant platform where, you know, millions of, of Americans tune in to hear his perspective on the news, to hear his perspective on where this country is going and what we can do about it. Um, it's really important to uh, people like Joe Biden and people like Merrick Garland to um, – couple things. Number one, uh, deplatform him. Like if, if they cannot get, uh, you know, first YouTube kicked him off. They, they removed his show from YouTube, um, uh, because obviously it was very, very popular and they didn't like he, what he was saying. Okay. But then now you've got the government using this excuse of the January 6th persecution to make sure that people who give a voice to that segment of the American public cannot keep galvanizing, cannot keep communicating, cannot keep, um, giving legitimacy to the concerns of these of these people and so um there's actually a video that we did at american firebrand which is a political organization that i'm director of and we put out a video that basically compares how the left always talks about foreign authoritarians and strong men and their crackdowns on dissent and political opposition and we just juxtapose it with all of these things that the, things that the biden administration has done to silence the effective political opposition so, uh, among people like steve bannon yeah, it's just a shame to see. It's like, you know, there's some judges who go with the law, very few of them. We, we've, we've seen some instances of it in the Mar-a-Lago case uh, and how the Justice Department wanted the judge to go and what the judge actually did. And then you see judges who just decide to go with the script uh, like they're going in this one. If they're, if they're in any kind of, you know, close proximity to Trump or whatever, they're going to get some kind of a consequence. And it's just become uh, absolutely absurd to watch how this Justice Department has kind of tanked the way we do uh, law in this country. Yeah, and it's even worse than that in a way in that they have taken this sort of 
coercive, bullying, thought crime, punishing uh, attack against people who are uh, random nobodies who were, you know, doing misdemeanor trespassing at the Capitol. You know, they, they stepped outside of the velvet ropes because they thought they were at a protest, like a sanctioned protest, like people who clearly were not trying to cause destruction, were not trying to do um, dangerous or violent things um, in, in, during the January 6th protest. And I did a podcast episode on this where I, I called it criminalizing dissent, where you can go through what these judges are doing when they're sentencing uh, or, or arranging the you know courtroom circumstances of some of these defendants for January 6th, where they say, um, you know, I, I they say in these grave tones, um, I am, I'm seriously troubled by the viewpoints that you espoused yep. that motivated you to attend this protest. And so it, by their own words, these people who are charged with justice and carrying out justice in this country, they will say it's not even what the person did, what their behavior or illegal activity was. It was the ideas that motivated them. And this is really, really scary stuff. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that's what uh, justice is all about, you know, innocent till proven guilty and weigh the facts against what happened. That That's just being arbitrary on your political thoughts on the subject. Well, if you just look at things like what's going on right now with the Wisconsin, uh, you know, parade massacre that happened mm-hmm. and, and the absolute circus that that, I mean, I, I get it, but that, that circus that the judge and the entire, just the way the legal system set up now has allowed that guy to pretty much, you know, turn that into a spectacle and, and just completely embarrass all the people who were murdered and the ones who were hurt, who actually got to go to court and testify and stuff like that. It just shows that, you know, when, when you start getting these, these attorney generals and, and district attorneys in there, and then you start to have judges who, who just go hard partisan, they should all be up for review and, 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 you know, based off of their track record, you know, who they're letting out, who reoffends and why. And if it's just that they're towing party lines or it's how they vote, it might be a crappy way to look at it, but, you know, they're, they're causing harm and, and stuff like that, not only to our big cities across the country, but to, you know, average American citizens who can't even go outside of their home and feel safe anymore. Paige, you mentioned American Firebrand. In addition to your podcast, this is this is your country. That two two amazing things that you've got your hands in right now. I mean, I, I love listening to your podcast. It's a deep dive, strong commentary on a lot of the things that you know are, are concerning to the American people right now. Why don't you tell us everything that you've been working on lately? Absolutely. So starting with the podcast, This Is Your Country, uh, that's basically my platform to give my take on not just the news cycle and and things that are uh, popular to discuss of the day, but really to unwind the thread and examine why we are faced with some of these really substantial, seemingly intractable public policy problems that are making life worse in our country. And so I'll do deep dives into issues like immigration and sort of exposing that while the left will call open borders this humanity imperative, a moral crusade. There are some really, really, really dark sides of this policy, including um, children who cross the border without their parents and they turn up working in uh, as indentured servants in meatpacking plants, in poultry farms. Um, that's an issue that I think will blow up at, you know, once people start learning that this is a an issue of much broader scope and scale. It's not like a one-off unfortunate incident. This is something where, um, in, in the words of Senator Portman, who was investigating this under the Obama administration, and you can be sure that it's only gotten worse since, um, he said in some cases uh, the U.S. government was delivering these children into the hands of their abusers and exploiters yep. um, simply through um, 
a lot of immigration law that we have set up, which is that you've got the Department of Health and Human Services. They've got an Office of Refugee Resettlement. And when they've got, uh, you know, 12 year olds, 14 year olds, 16 year olds coming across the border with no parents, those kids are in government custody. And often the government will say, oh, we've got some, you know, some uh, dubiously vetted sponsor who claims to be the children's uncle. And obviously it is some type of person that cartels have made an arrangement with. And they just drop off the kids and then the quote unquote sponsor draws public money to to uh, supervise the children and claim that he's their uncle. This is something that taxpayers are subsidizing. It's really, really sick. So that's the type of stuff that I will just go through the evidence and say, you know, like we need to arm ourselves as Americans uh, with information about what how these policies are really working. And then we need to use this as leverage to get these policies changed because it is enabling something really sick and backward. Yeah, it most certainly is. And then when, when you talk about uh, American Firebrand, what are some of the things that you're doing uh, with that organization? Absolutely. So American Firebrand is our political organization that, uh, no, first and foremost, we are working on political messaging to make the GOP less useless. And I think <laughs> that this is a frustration that the GOP base has had for a very long time. And when you think about um, that, just look, taking a historical perspective, President Trump was the first candidate in a very long time who gave uh, legitimacy and airtime to some of these grievances where Americans had been suffering uh, at the hands of their own government from globalism from the offshoring of manufacturing, from the uh, bleeding out of entire American cities and regions when they lost these uh, critical sectors where they employed lots of people, from the entrance of government-subsidized opioids, uh, prescription opioids, uh, poisoning and killing people across these regions that were depressed, and uh, from exploitative and endless foreign wars, all of these issues uh, that President Trump popularized. And so there has been a long-standing frustration with the Republican base that uh, that, that our leaders uh, run and, and get our votes and then do not represent us effectively in Washington. So our, our goal is twofold. Number one, we've obviously got midterms coming up. Uh, we, we want to elect as many re Republicans as possible. But on the flip side, once there is a, a red wave, which many of us expect, um, shaping that political victory to make sure that it is not abused uh, by corporate establishment-minded establishment -minded Republicans who feel comfortable saying now that we've got uh, many Americans votes. We don't really have to do anything because they put us in power. And now we are simply puppets for whatever corporate special interests um, ask us to do certain things. And so we cannot be caretakers of a dysfunctional status quo. We cannot be um, hoping that Americans will continue to turn out for the Republican Party if they get elected to power and they don't do anything to fix the dysfunction. So that's what we do with American Firebrand is we hold their feet to the fire. We model the correct way to talk about a lot of these issues. And then we hold them accountable to say, look, you have never delivered on this issue for the American public and its hurting people. No, I mean, that's it. I do want to segue to the midterms with you, and we're going to keep uh, American Firebrand in, in this conversation because uh, I think it's really important. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, you mentioned a red wave. Here on the show, just by using regular logic, we were able to determine that the red wave never really went away, regardless of how the suppression polls came out and said people like John Fetterman, just for example, was up at 1.25 points-ish on, <laughs> on Dr. Oz. The fake news narratives that said this election is a referendum on abortion, gun control, and the January 6th committee, we all knew <laughs> all those things polled in less than single digits in some cases. I mean, some literally yeah. polled at zero. Um, so we, we knew it was never going to be about that. It just seems over the course of the last two or three weeks, because we do a lot of news commentary and analysis, 
analysis on this show that we've seen people come out, Rachel Maddow, Chris Hayes, the whole panel at CNN, Jen Psaki, and say, mm, you know what? We probably should be talking about crime a little more. Ah, the gas pump is really something that's uh, concerning to us and what's going on with the oil. And, and then, of course, the economy where we've seen, you know, the average American lose close to $40,000 of their internal wealth almost. $13 trillion of American wealth erased in the last 19 months alone. And it just seemed to me when I look at the numbers, even when you see these polls that show Biden still floating in like the low 40s of, of uh, you know, a presidential approval, it's just not real. And we're going to see those real numbers for Joe Biden's, you know, favorability after the midterm elections. Heading in here now, it sounds like we're on the same page where this is probably the last chance for Republicans. They've gone out and, and have actually made a good pitch. This is the most important and consequential midterm election in the history of modern politics. This is why the entire world is on fire. The government that's in place right now has is holding the match, and we can do whatever we can to stop it. Now, let's look at this twofold. What do you see heading into the ballot box on November 8th? I mean, we, we're in pretty good standings when us as Republicans are looking at places like New Hampshire, Connecticut, Washington State, Oregon, and believe it or not, New York, as in play 19 days before Election Day. We're not worrying about battlegrounds as much as we may have been six months ago. I mean, we're all still going to do the work that we need to do, but when those other states are in play, it's like, good God, like the red wave is probably going to be more like a tsunami if we just stay on message and keep doing it, which has been a great pitch. And then afterwards, what are some things that we have to do immediately to get this government reined in? Yes. Okay. So first of all, uh, prediction wise, I expect that we will definitely win both the House and the Senate. I know that some people at some point were thinking we wouldn't win the Senate. I think that we will. Um, Agreed. Possibly even uh, we will walk away, you know, with with a 53 uh, seats in the Senate. And but the thing is, it's tough to be in the prediction business because there really are a lot of risks in the way that elections are conducted in yeah. an unfair and uh, way where um, integrity is sometimes in question. And I think that that's a, a really serious liability. I wish that the like the GOP apparatus would focus more on that and making sure that um, that elections are conducted properly. Because uh, you even had the situation where I believe it was. In Pennsylvania, the uh, it went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, "Well, of course, if if the law, the state law says um, that uh, for a ballot to be counted, it has to have you know the date on it. And you can't be counting ballots that don't comply with state election law about yep. what a ballot, what what constitutes a legal ballot." And the Secretary of State, the acting Secretary of State of uh, Pennsylvania, who's a hopelessly corrupted partisan official, yes. um, he said, no, thank you for the input, but we're going to count those ballots anyway. So you are dealing with people who are responsible for upholding the integrity of our elections, and they are not committed to doing so. And so that really troubles me. I think that based on public sentiment alone, we will win in a big way, but you have to account for these procedural subversions um, that that really unscrupulous actors are, are willing to engage in. So that, that troubles me. But um, assuming that, I, that we can uh, account for that and, and be victorious nonetheless, um, I do also just want to point out that like when it comes to public sentiment and you've got like the economy and when you look at all the polls and it's top issue, you know, economy and jobs, and then they've taken to breaking out separately as a separate issue, um, inflation and cost of living, which I think like, you know, that, that was not really done until recently because they were, I think they were trying to uh, diminish the, uh, how badly this will be a referendum on Biden's economic policies because they truly are in a, in a uh, deliberate way, making Americans worse off. Now the issue of inflation is profoundly 
disenfranchising and impoverishing to Americans, whether it's seniors living on fixed incomes. And if you read the news stories on those folks, how they're suffering, it's really, really sad and heartbreaking. Uh, people who, uh, families who are struggling to pay the bills for their children, this is really not uh, what you associate with uh, the American econ- economy functioning well. And so people, um, they're looking at that. And I think that to some extent, Americans in the past have been forgiving of bad economic circumstances when it truly is a, an unexpected shock that the president has no responsibility for. Yep. But in this case, these were all the de- these are the deliberate outcomes from a policy doctrine that they came into office. The Biden administration said our focus is equity. And when you hear equity, that means reparations. So mm-hmm. the reparations economy to them is impoverishing hardworking American people. And that it, people are suffering. They're struggling. People of all races and backgrounds are experiencing the whiplash from uh, the deliberate uh, destruction of functional economic and productive activity. And so I think people are, are rising up to this and saying it's not just, oh, poor victimized Joe Biden who inherited the you know post-pandemic economy. He is uh, doing things by design that make us worse off. And that that is adds a sinister element that I think you will see uh, more disaffected people who previously they uh, had the luxury of not voting on material issues. They, you know, they, they enjoyed the sort of virtue, virtuous uh, patina of voting on things like guns or abortion or other social issues. But in this case, they are materially, they, they are worse off materially, and that's going to turn up in the polls. No, that's it right there. I mean, when you talk and when you say Joe Biden, we obviously know you mean all of the people that are working around him because we, we, we played some bangers on this show today that just, man, he couldn't put a coherent sentence together yesterday when asked about some of the senators who were running on the Democrat side, Tim Ryan and Raphael Warnock, why, uh, how he felt about them not wanting him to campaign with them. And then, uh, you know, it, it's just like, well, when you look at it, it's like, all the people that are in play right now that are helping to tank this country, you have everybody over to the Department of Defense. They were all forced hires who were absolute embarrassments throughout the course of their military career. Alejandro Mayorkas, who stepped down from CIS for corruption, has now done it tenfold over the Department of Homeland Security. I don't know if you had heard, the Department of Homeland Security is refusing to release the annual numbers for the border. I mean, I know you're, you're honed in on the border, so you probably heard it because it's three weeks before the election and they don't want everybody to know that there's probably close to, well, at least ones that they were able to get a, a handle on. Over two and a half million people that crossed the border illegally, not including getaways just this fiscal year. And then you have people that are like, you know, Ron Klein and John Podesta and all the other people, Susan Rice, uh, obviously Janet Yellen, she's a big component of this. And then you talk about Merrick Garland. A lot of people scoffed when Republicans said that this was going to be a revenge hire for what happened to him in his Supreme Court nomination uh, during the Obama administration. And not only has he gone to reverse and persecute a lot of the people who are directly to connected to President Trump, including the 45th president of the United States. He's going after average citizens like, you know, with the whole uh, domestic violent extremist and and turning things like January 6th into a national investigation and and suppressing things like child smuggling and, and sex trafficking. So, we, we've seen all the players and actors here. It's just really interesting to see how it's all working out. Uh, I, I am pretty optimistic of you. Our general, uh, well, our midterm election pronouns on this show have been since the beginning 35, 245, 53. So that's where we kind of sit right now. <laughs> And uh, we're, that's our that's our absolute floor. We we anything less than that is, is is not successful. But I think that we're there, maybe even a little bit more. And then, what do you see? What do the Republicans really need to do to like own up to all of their promises, all of the scare tactics that they're going to get a red wave on a, on November eighth? Like, how do we push back on this? Uh, not only investigatively, but legislatively as well. That's right, and I. 
I'm glad you say that because one, uh, one frustration I have had with the GOP is their reluctance to commit to specifics when they are campaigning. And one reason I know that they do that is because um, it's embarrassing if you, you know, make a specific promise and then you're not, not able to accomplish it. Uh, That puts you in a a weaker position next time around. But um, I don't think that's ever stopped the Democrats. They shoot for the moon and then they blame, they blame, you know, other factors for why they can't accomplish everything they promise. But, uh, and then secondly, because um, that's, that's the hallmark of, uh, political capture by corporate interests and lobbyists is don't commit to anything. Let us write the bills. Uh, and that's sort of the condition on which some of these people take money. So, okay. In terms of specifics and what they should uh, commit to and spend their energy on number one, they need to use any tactic, any mechanism available to them to force the issue with immigration and yep. not just the, the euphemism border security. They need to say, we cannot fund, you know, we won't fund X, Y, or Z department. We won't fund X, Y, or Z agency until you commit, you know, $50 billion to deportation and law enforcement. And the reason I say this is because they're they're even afraid to use the word deportation as if it makes you evil. Yep. These are people who are in our country illegally exploiting the generosity and resources of the American people. And if they do not have people in Washington able to say, we are going to commit some of your tax dollars to uh, making sure that other countries' citizens aren't enjoying a lifetime free state, uh, free stay in the American, uh, in, in America, then you really have no representation at all. So number one is using any mechanism available to not just build the wall, secure the border, et cetera, but to deal with the enormous population of illegal aliens in our country who are, are really in, in the, at this point acting as a privileged class. Um, You even had Biden and Mayorkas um, trying to change ICE deportation and detainment uh, guidelines. Uh, They said, don't prioritize the deportation or detention of uh, an illegal alien, even if they're a felon, if they're, uh, if uh, these various criteria are met, such as the person is of quote unquote, like uh, tender or elderly age, if they are, uh, if their family would be impacted. So that's where you get situations where some hideous child rapist can live with, you know, a family of other uh, victimized illegal immigrants. And then Mayorkas will say, no, 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 don't deport that person just because he raped a child because the family may be impacted if they lose his income. This is really sick, perverted stuff. So these are all things where even if the media tried to portray the cause as, um, you know, heartless, cruel, uh, violating the, the humanitarian imperative of open borders. There is so much information out there where, where Republicans could really make a good argument, a convincing argument, and a moral argument for saying, here's why we are we are holding up funding on these various other things until we get a win on deportation, law enforcement, and border security. So that's just one example, but it is, it is the most important one in my mind. No, you're, you're correct there. I mean, we had the former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunes, and Cash Patel, who was the former chief of staff to the DOD, on with us last week. And they said during the Russian Gate investigation, one of the easiest things they were able to figure out is once they started holding up fundings for certain offices that they sent subpoenas to, that they sent reminders to, that we need these documentations, we need you to come testify, and they just got nothing back. The day after funding was held up, they were waiting for them at the door to open it to the chambers of the interview room when, when, when you know, and that's the thing, like, 
I'm sorry, you might have to shut the Department of Homeland Security down. Like, we had Mike Collins on the show last Friday, and he talked about, or I'm sorry, on this Tuesday, and, and he talked about, like, he wants to get on appropriations from day one. He's making his sixth trip this election cycle down to the border. He's going to stump with Eli Crane, uh, Carrie Lake, and Blake Masters this weekend in Arizona, and he's going to go down to the Tucson sector and see the disaster that's going on down there. And he said, listen, if we're not going to stop this, we're not paying for the Department of Homeland Security to be funded. First time it's on uh, appropriations committee next year. And, and then, you know, some of the language you talked about, I think one of the biggest nuclear responses we've had of this entire election debate cycle is how J.D. Vance blew up Tim Ryan when he was talking about the abortion issue with him. And he said, you want to know what? The only reason that girl was set up to be in a situation where a 10-year-old needed to be taken out of state and receive an abortion is because Alejandro Mayorkas and the you know, cartel that's running the Department of Homeland Security right now refused to deport that guy on four different occasions for felonies, and he was allowed to stay in that home because he brought in some bullshit income check and uh, allowed to rape a 10-year-old girl there. So I think you're hitting the nail right on the head. I think we'll see some of these examples moving forward uh, once we get the new Congress up on Capitol Hill in January. And Paige, as always, this has been awesome sitting down with you. I don't think we do it enough, um, but I know your schedule is busy crazy, so when you can find the time to sit down with us, it's always a pleasure having you on. I'd love to get you back uh, with maybe a little bit more of a fair forecast on where we go possibly before thanksgiving uh but before we let you go can you tell everybody where they could find you across social media where they could find the podcast and how they can contribute in any way Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. You guys run an excellent show that is so informative and so up to date with these really important uh, developments in politics and across the economy. So thank you for having me on. It's such a pleasure. Um, for your listeners, uh, find me on Twitter at Midwesterner with an E-U-R at the end. Uh, find American Firebrand at AmericanFirebrand.com. We put out uh, absolute bangers of videos on our Twitter and our YouTube. And um, if you want to support the work we do, you can donate at AmericanFirebrand.com. Amazing. And uh, like I said, we'll be looking to have you back after the midterm elections. We'll get a full update and then maybe see uh, what the political temperature of the nation is afterwards. This is the former Trump White House advisor and one of our favorite podcast hosts, Paige Willie. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks a lot, guys. Until next time. Brandy Zadrozny is a, quote, reporter with NBC News. What does she do exactly? Well, by her description, her job is seeking out personally identifying information about anonymous Trump supporters online, some of them, and revealing their true identities. Hmm. Zadrozny has acknowledged, quote, this. I use social media sleuthing to learn about a sus subject's real life, sleuthing. their family, friends, jobs, personal and political associations. So what does that mean exactly? What kind of information? Well, that information could include phone records, property records, even their Amazon wish lists. What is this about exactly? Darren Beatty is one of the people who broke this story. He's with Revolver News. Darren, thanks so, so much for joining us. So before you get into the sort of larger meaning of this, tell us specifically what this, what is she doing? What does this mean? Oh, she's up to no good. As you mentioned, she uses state-of-the-art proprietary technical tools to dig up personal information about anonymous Trump supporters online. As you mentioned, that includes property records, phone records, even Amazon wish lists, you name it. She'll do everything she can to unearth anonymous Trump supporters, basically so she can ruin their lives. Why would NBC News be doing something like this? I mean, you'd think NBC's job would be to tell us the news. What do the policies mean? Why would they be going after anonymous Twitter users? It's a great question. It really is disgusting. It's disgraceful. 
even by modern journalist standards. I'd love for NBC to comment on this. We see these journalists are not even acting as meaningful journalists. What they're doing is acting as commissars, a neo-Stasi, effectively, in order to crush the rebellion of the American people against their corrupt ruling class associated with the victory of Donald Trump. There's one aspect of this story that's maybe even more disturbing than what you described, and that is that Brandy Zadrozny uses this term disinformation as the pretext to go after Trump supporters and destroy their lives. I think as many viewers have seen, disinformation is this new buzzword, this new pretext used to silence Trump supporters. What's especially dangerous about this is that it brings this forced to bear in a national security context. Disinformation is a national security term. It invites the force of our own national security apparatus to silence Trump supporters domestically. And it's part of this trend that we're seeing a broader swaths of our own national security apparatus being Ooh. repurposed and redeployed domestically to silence, suppress, and destroy the energies associated with Donald Trump's victory in 2016. For a news organization to work in concert with the federal agencies to suppress dissent domestically, I mean, that's, I, I never imagined that would happen, but that is happening. Right. The full story of this, I would need hours to explain, but just a little detail. So she wrote, for her fellow journalists, a, a manual, a doxing manual detailing her methods for fellow journalists who failed the same ethics class. One of the sponsors <laughs> of her doxing manual on how to ruin Trump supporters' lives by uncovering their personal information is Bellingcat, an organization yep. funded by NED and our own government. Yep. Taxpayers are funding this. It's unbelievable. Noah Oppenheim at NBC News, one of the people who should answer, the guy who apparently leaked the Access Hollywood tape to the yes. Washington Post in 2016. They never have to answer the question. Absolutely. Darren, Darren Beatty, great to see you tonight. Congrats on the story. Great to be here, thank you. And you know, so she's using high-tech proprietary information, not just like one of those like memberships to a data broker search online. You, you know what I actually think it is? The, the way they framed it, it sounds like they're creating fake accounts and they're getting to know people who are anonymous Trump posters online. Like, oh, and then they're trying to be like, okay, who are you really? Like flirt with them. And hey, then, send me your number. Yeah. Send me a dick pic. Because remember, all you need is, is essentially a phone number, and you could rip everybody's life off of the Internet. Yeah, definitely not one of our sponsors or anything like that, but there are data broken clearing sites. Uh, I use the one Delete Me, mm -hmm. and it literally wipes you off. Because all these data broker websites, they sell your data – over and over and over and over again. And you can you can pretty much kind of clear your internet footprint pretty well with yeah. these things and they're they're decently affordable. Yeah, I mean for the listen, the cost of your livelihood, it's worth 100 bucks a year. So mm -hmm. so I'm completely in the in the narrative with that. And we can't say enough you know, about the good work. We talked about Steve Bannon at the top of our show, obviously a couple people in between them, but Darren yeah. Beatty, you know, author of the Our Movement speech mm -hmm. for Donald Trump. Uh, you know what? And it's, the guy is so smart. He's become such a great investigative reporter. Him and the team he's got over there at Revolver News. 
I, I've asked him again to come back on the show soon and talk about some of these things because he's just unearthed a whole lot. He gave an amazing speech at NatCon 3, which uh, we played excerpts of uh, actually one of our outros about two weeks ago of him talking about how woke politics uh, oh, yeah, on, a good a, one. on a global scale will eventually lead to the end of America unless we stop it now. But that's kind of what's going on behind the scenes at places like NBC News. Keeping in the same wheelhouse there, everybody's favorite resident racist, Joy Reid, mm. uh, went on a tirade last night. Remember... We can't talk about abortion, gun control, and uh, things of that nature anymore. We've gone on to the only thing you're getting at the ballot box now if you're in the Republican Party is an election-denying racist. That's the new go-to as we head the home stretch right here. She went hard on that narrative uh, to lead off her show last night. Unfortunately, let's give a listen. Florida, which I would argue, even with Texas existing, has emerged as the modern existing? state in this country Florida. that comes the closest to a modern-day version of Jim Crow. Now, just hear me out. If there is a state that better exemplifies the rot of MAGA Republican rule than the state of Florida that the governor has named in very Orwellian fashion the free state of Florida, I honestly don't know where it is, don't know what it is. I mean, Florida has it all. A law banning gay people from declaring their existence at school. Teachers can actually get fired for it. A law against anti-racist policies at work, like you have to let the racism be in the workplace or else. Book bans and requirements for patriotic Christian education propaganda in public schools. And of course, a concerted effort to make it as hard as possible for anyone who might vote for the out-of-power party, the Democrats, hashtag black people, to vote. That just seems... Totally taking all of those examples cited at a completely nonsensical level and not true. Book banning. Yeah, they're banning the freaking animated porn books. Yeah, of kids giving and each did other she just say, jobs. she just say, was she saying that black people aren't smart enough to get an ID at the end there? She did. Like, what? Mm. Like, preventing black people from voting. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Everybody's got an ID. Everyone. And even... The shittiest of shithole countries have voting, like Me- like Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter the poorest of the poor person you run into from that country, like, practically homeless, nine times out of ten, they're going to have an electoral card. Yeah, when, when you become 18, you get a government-issued voter electorate card. Do they have to pay for those? No. And what happens if you lose it? You just go get another one. You get another one. Weird. It's almost like something we could do here with some of the money we're sending to Ukraine. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. Don't worry. Fuck. We, we, no, this is actually some good talking points that we've had come out from the Republican Party, believe it or not, ahead of the midterm elections this week. Mm. We're, we're going to stay on the garrison button, though. I've got back-to-back clips from your gal, uh, well, the super featherweight insurrectionist boxing contender of them all, Nancy Pelosi. Mm. I don't know if she's a featherweight with those freaking milkers hanging off. <laughs> That's true. Might be a fucking... Welterweight. Welterweight. There you go. <laughs> oh! She she jumped on with, uh, well, it looks like fake news, Dana Bash, to talk about, um, you'll never believe it, that Democrats need to say whatever it takes to win in the midterm elections. Do whatever it takes, say whatever it takes, lie, cheat, or steal, just like they said last time. Which is, leader, lead, members of your own caucus, Lisa Slotkin and Abigail Spanberger, they're, they're in tough districts. I know they're yeah. in tough fights. But they're talking about generational change because mm-hmm. all the leadership being over 80... You know, yeah. the president is, is you know... Going to be 80. Also, needs to be if we elected, going to be in that category. So let's talk about what Lisa Slotkin said on Meet the Press. I want to play that for you. 
I have been very vocal, including with my own leadership in the House, that we need a new generation. We need new blood, period, across the Democratic Party, in the House, the Senate and the White House. I, I, I think that the country has been saying that. So what do you say to your own caucus, to these young members? They're you know, obviously in tough fights, but they want to see the change. I say just win, baby. Just win. If that's oh. what you have to say to win, fine. Oh. And we will not in any way do anything but totally supportive. Mobilization-wise, uh, message-wise, money-wise. Of, uh, of course, Nancy. Mm. She wasn't done. Um, she jumped on uh, a show yesterday and wanted to talk about the amazing two years it's been since Joe Biden assumed office. So amazing. I don't think anybody can argue that it's been amazing amazingly dismal what about spectacular spectacular failure what else you got um i don't know let's hear it see how many times you could wear out that fucking button but in some cases there's no substitute for experience and i think that what we have been through with the legislation under the leadership of president biden who has done a spectacular job oh. he's had a better two years oh. than most uh, presidents oh. that you can name, certainly in the recent generations. Uh, no, but in some no. cases, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I like, how do you say this with a straight face? How? I how? So I, I, oh, I ask myself the same thing all the time with these people. Like, how, how the hell? <laughs> like, <laughs> how does she say that and not just sit there open mouthed and have her dentures just slowly slip out of place? Well, like just thinking about what she said. Well, remember, she doesn't say open sesame. She says open Biden. Oh, fuck. I forgot about that. That's an oldie but goodie. Antoinette, what do you think? Has has the last two years been anything short of spectacular? I mean, the open Biden does make sense for the border. Yeah. Mm. Literally, like since in the last two years, I just like kind of like took it all in and like kind of hunkered down and I'm trying to wait out this shit show storm or whatever you call it. I can't wait till it's over. Cause I just, I can't deal with these people. I can't, I can't listen to any of them. It's just so bad. It's so bad. It's amazingly bad. Well, well it's, it's, yeah, it's awesomely bad. It's like those like really fucking bad TV, like reality TV shows that you, you, you watch. Well, we've touched on it a couple of times today about the I can't stand those shows. depletion of the, the strategic petroleum reserve. Strategy. Believe it or not, and, so a, and according to Joe Biden, because I've got three, although be it short, because the, the long clips of him just don't exist. Uh, yeah, well, what, what was what's his like a uh, record now? Like the longest? You said thirty seconds at one point. Like Is the it? record for the worst president ever? Yeah. No. Uh, how long his audio clips? They they generally between thirty forty seconds is like a ridiculously long. But if you get like a forty forty five second clip of Joe Biden, it's like him walking away from the podium, all of the reporters <laughs> yelling at him, and then it's like fifteen seconds of buffer to him walk back to be like, "Listen here, Jack." Here's him yesterday talking Here's about how. Releasing 77 million more barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is not politically motivated and has nothing to do with the midterm. Well, so you're you're going to wow. tell me that our already depleted, depletes like severely depleted strategic reserves during a time of potential war, hmm. and for whatever reason he he feels like he's just going to release more just to try to bolster his fucking base or retrieve whatever's left of people who think he's doing a good job. There are oh, just so he can say, gas prices are down again. Corn Pop filled up his truck. Fucking stupid. 
So see, let's hear the commander in chief. Mr. President, Mr. President, what is your response? I don't hear. Can you speak louder? <laughs> what is your response to Republicans who say you are only doing this SPR release because to help Democrats in the midterms? Where have they been the last four months? Here, campaigning. That's my response. Is it politically motivated, sir? This <laughs> no, it's not. Three weeks before the midterms. Look, it makes sense. I've been doing this for how long now? Too long? It's not politically motivated at all. It's motivated to make sure that I continue to push on what I've been pushing on. And that is making sure there's enough oil that's being pumped by the companies so that we have the ability to be able to produce enough gas that we need here American at home, companies? oil we need here at home, and at the same oh, time, keep moving in the direction of providing for alternative energy. Mm. That's what I've been doing. Now, the problem is these guys are asleep. I don't know where they've been. Mm, I could he literally you. just he literally just talked about the companies pumping more oil and then referenced, but also here at home. So, obviously, he's not talking about oil production here in the United States. He's talking about taking the strategic petroleum reserves out of business, and that's the thing. For the administration that says they are going to end fossil fuels in the next 12 years. Um, With no they, plan in between. They will go and beg every oil-producing nation on the planet for more oil. It's part of their master plan for this one world government where literally each place has its job and one hand washes the other. It doesn't make any sense because if you look at everything that we're doing, okay, so we don't want to do X thing because it's hard on the environment. So we make China do it. Okay. And they're even worse on the environment than we would be with all of our regulations and, and slavery and slavery mm -hmm. and everything like that. Organ harvesting, the Uyghur Muslims, the whole deal. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to have, we're going to try to get oil from Russia who mm. their refining process is not as clean as ours. Nope. Absolutely worse for the environment because they just don't give a shit. It, it, it's like, okay, so you don't want to burn trash in your yard. So what you're going to do is you're going to bag up all your trash and give it to your neighbor and have them burn it in their yard. Mm -hmm. It makes no fucking difference. Still breathing in the same garbage. Well, it's like, you know, you guys realize that the, the earth is, the oceans are all connected. The fucking air floats around like, it doesn't matter where it gets done. At least if we do it here, we can do it better, cleaner, and actually reap the benefits of doing it ourselves. More efficiently. There's more oil here than anywhere in the world. Yeah. Like, honestly, this is not conspiracy talk. This is the truth. Mm -hmm. If people realize that there is, oil is in such abundance throughout the entire world, depending on, you know, like you said, the countries, how they burn it, how they, you know, harvest and whatnot. We have unlimited amounts of oil. And this is what they're doing. Obviously, if it's not clear to anyone at this point. Wait, you're saying that it's not fossil fuels and it's not made out of old dinosaurs and it is a limited resource? <laughs> mm, I like no, that one. That's exactly what I'm saying. Perfect. <laughs> no, the thing is, is that in a lot of cases where we, you know, throw the narrative out that this is the last chance to turn this around. This is literally the last chance. We're bringing oh. Russia, Iran, and Venezuela back into you know, uh, going into an oil war with Saudi Arabia because of our strained relationship there. And if we don't get people in who are going to stop this administration's agenda and in turn turn it over in 2024 to re-unleash American energy independence, 
we're not going to have it ever again. No. Like these gas prices that we're experiencing in Southern California, and let me tell you, regardless of how low they say they are, regardless of this, that, or the other thing, even the people who say, you know, he's brought gas prices down a little bit, but it's still like $1.50. It's almost $7 a gallon for regular here in Southern California still. Yeah, I mean, it costs like $40 to fill up a fucking motorcycle. That's ridiculous. I pay like over a hundred and something, even at Costco, just to fill up my SUV. It's yep. ridiculous. It's point. Yep. Like, and what I said on Tuesday, I paid seven dollars and forty nine cents for grass fed organic milk for my son because that's all he can drink. Right. He's not, you know, that's what he prefers, and it's healthier, obviously. Yeah, of course. It's ridiculous. Oh, I buy, I buy my kids like the premium whole milk, the premium chocolate milk, and that stuff. Like the chocolate milk now, it's almost six dollars for like. Uh, three quarters of a gallon. I don't even get the full size one. Cause the thing is they're freezing everything because of the supply chain issues, including like fresh vegetables, fruits, and milk. You bring it home. The shit's garbage in like two days and you're paying three times the price. for Yeah. It. Any lettuce and stuff like that, yeah. that I bought, it's like, you know, everybody, everybody buys, everybody buys the thing of lettuce <laughs> and it sits in your fridge until it turns into like a block of goo. But mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's a block of goo when I try to eat it like for the first night. Yeah. And I mean, if you're looking oh, at the grocery oh, store, so crazy you guys mentioned that because I've noticed the same thing. Like, Things get old so much quicker. So, Produce because they're everything. freezing them. Yeah, yeah, they're freezing them. That's why, and w- which cuts the shelf life down by like two thirds. But don't worry. Um, let's see. Being a racist and, and an election denier doesn't seem like it's going to be enough to really resonate with the voters, the independents, the moderates, the Walker Aid Dems at, at this midterm election. So something I saw kind of rippling last week that made it to the podium and was spoken by the president of the United States is what Republicans are going to do to the economy following the election. Republican leadership in Congress has made it clear they will crash the economy next year by threatening the full faith and credit of the United States for the first time in our history, putting the United States in default unless unless we yield to their demand to cut Social Security and Medicare. What? You heard him. Hell? Is anybody well, even talking about that, really? Obviously, but what? No, we've had at least 100 candidates on here. Not the, one of them has mentioned year. any anything about Crashing Social Security the or Medicare. No, no. Sunsetting Social Security and Medicare, not on the campaign platform. Well, that's the whole point of the Great Reset, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, and it is. Rebuild their new version. Yeah, these people are uh, getting sloppy. Now, we've heard Ted Cruz uh, at the end of our first segment talk about how you know, he's out working hard and places that Joe Biden aren't. Did you guys hear this one? Barack Obama, who's going to be on the campaign trail in a couple of battleground states like Wisconsin, I believe Ohio and a few others. Really? Aside from the from the Fetterman um, appearance yesterday where basements appeared with Hobo Shrek and his the artist formerly known as illegally present in the United States wife. She was an illegal alien. I don't know if our listenership knew that John Fetterman's big fucking mouthed wife. She's a piece of shit too. Mm. And uh, one of the ones who have, you know, gone along, she's like the Jill Biden, but just a, just a smaller, shittier version of her. She dress horribly too. Uh, she dresses in black hair, like goth. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're like, literally they could stand outside of the Halloween store and, and, People would want to, yeah, what, where can I buy that costume? It's funny you mentioned Obama because I think during one of the interviews you actually said, oh, Biden. Well, <laughs> which has been a joke am, of mine for a while. Am I, I way thought. off? Yeah. So yesterday, yesterday after a month, what'd you say? Getting desperate if they're bringing out Obama. Yeah, they are. He's going to do a five state tour, but they asked Joe Biden. Let's take off his pajamas. Why do certain candidates in this election cycle, namely Raphael Warnock and Tim Ryan, 
not want him to go down to Georgia and up to Ohio to campaign with them. Now, it's a quick clip, so easy on the garrison button. I just want our listening audience to be completely prepared for how the President of the United States answered this. Let's hear it. Tim Ryan in Ohio said he doesn't want you there. Warnock said wouldn't say. Do you think they're making a mistake? No, they're by 16 there. I've already gone in for you and a lot more last. What? Another 20 or so. so I'm going to be going in. What the f- You want to hear it again? Yeah, let me hear that again. Coming in. I'm going to turn it up really loud for everybody listening. Here we go. Tim Ryan in Ohio said he doesn't want you there. Warnock said wouldn't say. Do you think they're making a mistake? No, they're by 16 there. I've already gone in for you and a lot more last. Another 20 or so. so I'm going to be going in. I turned that up the maximum volume possible as soon as he started speaking. It was a lot clearer the second time. I have no idea what he said still. <laughs> I did it in 16 and went better in her management. And then, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, did, was there somebody, somebody that put the subtitles on that? I didn't get one of those yet. That was the highest definition, clearest res oh I, could, I could pull. I, I found like so many different versions of it, but that was, believe it or not, the clearest one. I believe you wanted to say, like, we've already been to 16 states and I eventually want to make it to 20 before the midterms, but just the way it came out and his eyes were like stuck open and. Yeah, that's well, what we're they had them all juiced up on the. <clears throat> of course, the run out of the good stuff. Doing public speaking appearances, but Noah mentioned, um, you know, the Ukraine border wall at the top of our segment here, and as we're getting ready, Wait, they to, built a they built a border wall in Ukraine. Well, the amount of them we sent over there in, in cash, funding, aid, military logistics, etc. It's also been reconfirmed this week that U.S. special forces are now actively working on the ground in and around Donbass region. How is that not? War, I have no idea, but I'm telling you what. I at, mean, we already knew they were there, but I mean. As a sovereign nation, Vladimir Putin has had. So so I don't know if you guys heard it either. We'll just segue real quick. 157 feet of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline was destroyed when it was bombed. So there's no way it could have ever been any kind of an accident or anything. It was a coordinated attack on that oil supply chain right Didn't there. Didn't people track down that there was actually like military uh, aircraft that were in the area during that time? and Military vessels? A nuclear vessel? Yeah. The whales one is my favorite. <laughs> um, God, we're old. I saw it in the movie theater. Yeah. Uh, uh, Marines, but they were, they're like deep, uh, deep sea. Fuck, oh I can't think of the name right now, but they're kind of like submarines, but they're not, they're unmanned. They're remote. UAV, UAVs or? Yeah. What is it? What is the equivalent underneath? Yeah. No, yeah, not a UAVs, like, aerial vehicle. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what they um, uh, actually reported were there earlier on, and they were American. I wouldn't doubt it. It's one of the heavily patrolled areas in the world. In addition to that, you had the Crimean Bridge, which has the the water pipelines uh, linking Russia and Crimea, um, bombed by a truck. Uh, That was an epic video. Like, like knocked over the freaking bridge that was next to it. Yeah. And the funny part is when our government made up the fake narrative that Russia was contracting people in Afghanistan to kill U.S. targets, U.S. servicemen and women there, which was completely debunked and fake, Mm -hmm. we went out into Ukraine and were executing high-ranking Russian military officials there in country at the beginning of the war, especially when they landed like the most prestigious and supposedly, uh, you know, best fighting force possible outside of Kiev in the beginning uh, you know, they, they were pot shot at, 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 you know, the highest ranking officials there, which is normal for war status. But it's like, I don't know if we can project it anymore. Mm-mm. Getting back to the meat and potatoes of it. Representative Jim Banks was on, uh, I believe it was, was it the Botox Queen's Laura Ingram show yesterday. 
And, and they're actually talking about this funding, which is now over 31 border walls worth of, of materials that have gone over to Ukraine. Let's hear Representative Banks weigh in on this. Which argument do you favor that we shouldn't have a blank check going over there to Ukraine or apparently is no end to the uh, spending? Well, Leader McCarthy is exactly right. He's stating the obvious. No more blank checks around the world to solve problems overseas when America is on its knees at home. We can't be the leader around the world when we have such big issues to solve in America. We need to uh, secure the border, address inflation, address crime, uh, deal with gas prices, first before we can help other countries and and leave. you know i like it he's picking back off of some comments mccarthy made this week when he appeared at a public speaking event but the fact of the matter is um you know i, I really hope that jim banks who is a firebrand and, and has been really tough behind the scenes for the last couple of years in in congress up in the u.s house of representative is ready for leadership positions it's time for people like him to get into this stuff and and really get their hands dirty in regards to some of this narrative because you know, as the president of the United States, Joe Biden could just say, in addition to some of the stuff that has gone through Congress, like I'm pledging another little bit less than a billion dollars worth of whatever for Ukraine. And he just writes it off and sends it over to, you know, take out our all, all of the, the missiles, the military equipment, the howitzer cannons, uh, the drones and every other fucking thing we sent over there. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's neither here nor there. This has been a pretty lively show and i think uh well we didn't have any kjp because biden was on the road so i'm sure noah appreciated that but in our last audio clip of the week um donald trump appeared on some salem news network you know he really needs to get off of his ass and and, and call into the show and give us an interview keep tagging him on true social i know he reads it scavino shared another one of our posts yesterday so i know he's at least laughing at our memes nice uh but the fact of the matter is uh, the host on the Salem News Network asked him for some commentary on Nancy Pelosi's fight or flight comments. Mm. Uh, let's hear the 45th president of the United States weigh in for that heavyweight match. A video of Nancy Pelosi on January 6th saying she wanted to punch you. I would come to punch him out. This is my mom. I would pay to see that. I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. <laughs> what was your reaction to that? <laughs> well, she's a despicable person, very bad for the country. Uh, if I ever said that, it would be a national scandal with her. You think? Even a blip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do you think? If I said anybody, well, what about Biden saying, take him to the back of the barn? Yeah. That's what I do right now. You know, I mean, this guy, if I ever said it, oh, that would be terrible. But he says that they think it's so cute. Isn't yeah. it wonderful? You know, you'd you'd blow on him and it'd fall over. <laughs> so uh, it's one of those things that I have to put up with. Think of it. She makes a statement like that. It's totally fine. Yeah. If I made a statement, it's more me than a Republican. I mean, most Republicans couldn't do it either. But if I made it. In oh, with you, it's it times be, 100. It's absolutely yeah, times 100. Times, they're, it's they're, times 100. Yeah. I'm not sure if people have seen. Trump's arm and how he can throw a freaking baseball, but I'm pretty sure he can lay them all out at his age. I mean, he did. Uh, obviously, he sized up Joe Biden because he said, "You look at that guy. I bet you could blow on him; he'll fall over." <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of where we're at this week. A lot of breaking news. We're still heavily into the midterms. Uh, looking right here, 19 days out, most important election of our lifetime. Uh, We're going to continue to keep bringing you those narratives. We're going to be continuing this narrative tomorrow morning on our live show, The Great Steak Breakfast. And as we're getting ready to segue here, I think it's, uh, what do you think, Noah? At least uh, banger worthy? Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, a lot of stuff covered. So we'll just keep uh, bringing you guys the best of it.
finishing the week strong. Oh, yeah. As we usually do on Steak for Breakfast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear the other 179 editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform or on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podaddict, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all our amazing guests today. America First, Trump endorsed Republican nominee, Michigan 3, John Gibbs and former Trump White House aides Theo Wold and Paige Willie. Great sitting down with them. In addition to those guys, some of our internet friends, Patriotic Babe Accounts, Ultra Garbaggio, Who White Memes, and Miss Christina Bob of Save America. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some cash at all of our partners, because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. Support Mike Lindell, everything he's doing, whether he's driving tractor trailers or getting put face down in a parking lot by the FBI. Mm. You enter promo code steak at checkout, you're going to get the same big savings. Spill the sweet tea. There you go. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. MyStore.com forward slash steak for anything breakfast related, including the coffee. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I've ever owned forever. Be found at Odyssey. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Odyssey.com is the website there. Patriot Cigar Company. Everybody likes to enjoy a enormous cigar in all of its delicious, robust flavor. You get a promo code Steak at checkout there. You get 15% off, $100 orders or more free $10 e-gift card every purchase. If you're curious, the Moab is the biggest one. There you go. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom, love, and patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all of your gun-related needs, firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. Hit him up on his newly redesigned, easy-to-use website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Man rubs! I did have some man-rubbed chicken last night. Mm. Still not in the air fryer, but it was delicious. You gotta try it. It's good. I know. And it's easy. I don't have an air fryer big enough. I'd have to make, like, batches. What the fuck kind of air fryer do you have? I have one that's, like, you know, you can throw... It's, like, the bucket's, like, this big, but we're a family of four and two dogs. So, you know, it's one of those things where uh, that's, like, snack time. Um, But you buy it, shake it, sprinkle it, rub it, throw it in the cooking apparatus of your choice. Eventually it'll be done. Drizzle a little sauce and then directly into your mouth. Num, num, num. Manrubs.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook as well. Uh, all of our first responders love shopping at Mediocre Medic. You're going to like their Instagram a little bit more. Find them on MediocreMedic.com. And why haven't you gotten a zero fuck stuck yet? Noah, any any clue or reason why? I don't know. I got a bunch. I have. I spent a retarded amount of money on those things. And I didn't get a fucking discount. I brought an amazing sized patch panel mm. over here. And uh, it's up in the lab. Um, but yeah, Dumpbox.us. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Let's see, what do we got? Upcoming shows. We'll be back on Tuesday. Heavy theme lawyer edition. I guess we're going to talk a little bit uh, Trump subpoena and maybe what's going on with the Mar-a-Lago case. We're going to have Boris Epstein and Alina Habba. We'll kick off the week, or I'm sorry, end the week next week. We're going to have Leora Levy and Sarah Weaver, who works for the Daily Caller. Leora Levy is the Trump-endorsed senatorial candidate in Connecticut. Rick Grinnell. And Maryland Trump-endorsed gubernatorial candidate will kick off the month of November on the 1st. And looking down the road a little bit, we're going to be doing some true social content creator segments as well. New country music singer, political commentator as well in the conservative politics, Alex Wilkins will be here on the 11th. And sometime between now and then, 
Uh, you may have heard a couple of his songs. I think the last one that was really off the charts was Am I the Only One? Aaron Lewis. Oh, nice. He's going to come in and talk politics with us. He's also going to perform a song on our show as well. So working with those guys over there, True Social, trying to help them get better than they've ever been before. Friends of the Week, got my list right here. Our True Social Twitch streamers, Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitten, Real Lazy Boy, American Nintendo, Suitcase, CSM Master, Burger Man. In addition to them, some of our true social friends, Indiana Zoomer, Jason E. Van Gundy, some call me Tim79, and Thomas Bama, 13 Gen Patriot as well. Ghost Hammer is always one of our mm-hmm. favorite friends and first one to like it on Podbean every week when it drops. And then let's talk about the meme community. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to put it out there. We make memes and share them. I made one like uh, for Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs, and, Katie, and Carrie Lake shared it. Nice. So she's in, mentions this week. My Willow memes gave us the cover meme. For our newest Substack that's up, we're replacing the January 6th narrative with abortion. That's not what the selection's about, but my article is. Let's go, Brenda. Grand old memes. Tiffany Mendez. Madam America. John Hacker LA. Maria Unmuzzled. Mostly peaceful memes. And the real meme DeLorean. Guys, things to remember between now and next show. I can't believe we crushed this so far, and I haven't stuttered yet. Let's see Mm. if I can do it. Number one, do your own research. Bottom line, that's all you got to do. Number two, start a podcast. Noah? Not too bad today. Like it? Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 180 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll be back with 181 on Tuesday. Alina Habin, Boris Epstein, set to join us. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Ro. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and take care. You know, 1% of the world are placed in power and 99% of the world are the audience. So that 1% of the world, this idea of a United Nations, this is the world that needs to come together. This is the world that, I mean, here's the obvious go-to. Biden doesn't listen to Elon Musk. The president of the United States does not have meetings with Elon Musk. Hmm. That is Fucking, hey, here, come, 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 come get me. That's fucking retarded. (laughs) I know I'm not supposed to say that, Biden, but that's fucking retarded, Biden. And, and I, you know, it's, um, and obviously because I've been deemed with mental health, all this, I have the right to use whatever words that I like to use. Well, that's interesting. So, so let me pick, ask okay. another question. Well, yeah, let me ask you on that. So you just you just said something very inflammatory about President Biden. It will, as you know, offend a lot of people, yeah. and it will particularly offend people who work in mental health. You say you should not use a word like retarded, uh, but you say that because you yourself have had mental health issues. To be honest with you. I'm kind of retarded.